0: I was initially gonna pick uh, every time I die, but I know how really nerdy I can get on that. I mean, I know no one. Yeah, you can't see behind me, but uh, all the way. But there's right behind me is a photo uh, that a friend of mine took from the Eatshed show that I did a uh, re- the first show review I did, and uh, I subsequently got that tattooed on me. Nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, but then you said someone else is already gonna do it. I was like, all right. So I yeah, guess if I, well,
1: we might we might get two or three people on for that one because that's a that's a big one for yeah. us. Typically, whenever we do a band that has that big of a following, it's one of those, like, the episode might not do that well initially, but over time, people Googling every time I die and, you know, all that, they they kind of start picking up on it and seeing what we got to say
2: yeah we can commensurate you said earlier retail management dan and i have both been in in that before
0: Ready for not not working weekends and holidays anymore
2: no fucking shit dude (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i used to be the biggest fucking grinch for the longest time and people couldn't (laughs) understand why i'm like Fuck you! I'm like, you do it and see if you're not a Grinch.
3: <laughs> and if you were the biggest fucking Grinch for a long time, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. That is Jeff. This is John Beatty of John's Untitled Podcast. Is
1: it Beatty or Betty? I never asked. Beatty. Beatty, Beatty like Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. Beatty. God, yeah. I knew that A was going to fuck me. Anyway. You know, that's
0: it, what she said.
3: <laughs> oh
0: wow mark the time what are we 30 <laughs> seconds in and we already got a that's what she said joke
3: that's the only one i'm allowed
0: oh you're what allowed one an episode i thought he was going to pull out a t-shirt that said that's what she said i was gonna take go taking the joke even further
3: just give me some time
0: say give him some time <laughs> in I, gu- I
3: guarantee it'll happen i mean if we want to make this the first
0: nude podcast we can oh this would definitely
3: not be the first nude podcast oh my god the bullshit button doesn't work <laughs>
0: no, i'm <laughs> just, I'm just right. sweating like all right <laughs> Anyway, thanks for guy, having me guy, having me on.
1: We're glad to have you, man. Anytime.
2: We're g- we we like talking about moves.
0: Oh man, well, I got a sweet set of a cups for you. Oh yeah, they're real, whether a you cups. like them or not.
1: Them Fucking amateur.
0: That's what the <laughs> A stands for. Yeah. Oh. Ah. <laughs> nice. Actually, speaking of A, I believe we are talking about asLA dying. Speaking of a cups. That's and moves. correct.
3: Oh, I thought we were talking about Metalcore. Uh. We are talking about. Well, no, Joe, we're talking about Azalee dying. Oh, it's the same thing.
1: Yeah, so the the metal (laughs) and the underwire of his bra.
0: Yes, for the boobs that he now has.
1: Yes. Oh, my God, that's terrible. Sorry, Tim.
3: That would be two minutes and 25 seconds in. It already came up. We're going to try to just talk about the band at first. I realize that
1: probably the last half hour of this podcast is going to be talking about that. Well, I yeah, mean, we'll for just, good we'll be, though, there'll like, be a lot of shitting on him.
0: Does to say something that you and I talked to you about, Dan, was uh, just the impact of him going to jail and the separation. And Actually, fuck it. We'll just get to that later. <laughs> but there yeah, is, yeah, there's a bigger <laughs> arc about that, though.
1: Absolutely. So Azaleigh dying, does anybody remember the first time they heard lay dying?
0: Can I go first? Sure, go ahead. All right, so back when Hot Topic used to have that like eight CDs uh, that you could listen to and they were on sale, uh, I walked in there and the album cover for Frail Lord's Collapse caught me caught my attention, and I listened to that and Most Precious Blood's uh, Our Lady of Annihilation album, and basically those two records... Coming out shaped me going into metalcore and really extreme metal, going with As I Lay Dying and everything that they were about, like bands like Himza. And then uh, Most Precious Blood got me into bands like Hate Breed and a lot more of that East Coast hardcore. So, uh, like, very, very memorable timeframe for me. I
3: know I became first aware of them when I heard another band, probably Kill Switch and Cage. And Dan, of all people, says, This sounds like As I Lay Dying. <laughs> so I started listening to As I Lay Dying and I said, Okay, so every song sounds the same. And it's heavy, and it's melodic, and all right, this is going to be the thing for the next five years. Gothenburg, Sweden called. They want their riffs back.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the first time I heard them was actually at MOBAP in my friend's dorm room. He's really big into anything Christian and anything that's heavy. So, I mean, this was at that time was right up his alley. And I think that came out like, oh, Frail World's, it's Fred Ward's collapse. I think is the f- what he had me listen to. Was I that two thousand and
1: three?
2: No, it wasn't two thousand and three. It was like two thousand and four, two thousand and five when he had me listen to it. But I think that was the first one that I listened to. It wasn't uh, Shadows Our Security. I know it was. I think it was out, but I don't think he had it yet. It's. I don't know. I'm an old fart. I don't remember anything. This is
0: back when you still had to pick and choose what CDs you were going to buy, so you had to wait sometimes
2: yeah we had this cool place here in i don't know if they were everywhere but in st louis this place called cd warehouse oh, yeah, and they and they were real good about allowing you to listen to it before you buy it and uh i know we did plenty of that afterwards we just kind of like um went to our local cd warehouse and sat down for a couple hours just listening to everything and buying nothing
1: they're <laughs> still around
2: yeah there's a couple i, yeah, I just bought
1: some napalm death records for them
2: nice yeah I just know the other places I lived in the U.S. I never saw them
1: uh, where I used to live.
0: They were they were around for a very short amount of time here in the Midwest.
1: Well, the first time I heard Asley dying, two thousand and two, I was a member of and contributed a little bit to a website called Godcore.com <laughs> because I was a never I was forget. a hardcore Godcore. Christian hardcore yeah Christian hardcore fan and I was I was eating it all up. That was like really a big time for me. And I read a review for a CD called Beneath the Encasing of Ashes by a band called Asily Dying. And back then I was using like a really shitty connection. It might have been like a broadband, but it was like not like a really great internet connection. So I couldn't stream the song. So I had to just imagine what I thought that they were gonna sound like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, based on the review Because, you know, back in the day You used to read CD reviews And then you would base your purchase on that And so I went to the band's website I contacted them I ordered a CD And they sent me this Okay Uh Beneath the Encasing of Ashes Which is weird because I had no idea that this is like a rare CD now Yeah, Like they didn't sign like it? Like a hard to find They did not sign it, no oh, What assholes but, I know, right? But, very, I knew Tim very was a bad apple from the very beginning. No, but uh, <laughs> the the whole thing is is that So I heard the CD and I remember thinking, well, this just sounds like Zao. Like they should have mentioned that in the review that it sounds just like Zayo. I already love Zao, you know. Like they're 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 you know no secret on the podcast that Zao is my favorite, my favorite band. You know, I, I love them. They can do no wrong. And so. I think originally I was a little bit put off by how much like Zayo it sounded. That first record is very, it's got more of that like old school metalcore sound to it, which I actually appreciated listening to it again uh, for this podcast because... Same here. Yeah. So, and yeah, we've just rolled into the <laughs> to the first album uh, discussion on that. But yeah, that was the first record that I heard by them and they were, I wouldn't say they were mind blowing yet. I noticed that there was a little bit of potential i remember one thing that i liked was the sound clip at the beginning of the record and there was uh just kind of this like dirty gritty sound and they did a lot of like they did a lot of like more of the chaotic metalcore stuff they sounded a little bit more like zeo with like the chaos and the dissonance but they sounded a little bit there was a little bit of like the Ludicrous or Norma Jean type of sound in there, and I remember just thinking like, "Okay, this is this is all right." I thought this was okay, and listening to it in 2018, I'm kind of like, "Well, Tim's vocals were sloppy, you know. Uh, there's actual mistakes, you know, on the record, and it sounds uh, it sounds a little chopped together. It was at the very beginning of like digital recording, and so it sounds a little bit like." A little too loud in places and a little too quiet in other places but um what did you guys think you, since since it seems like everybody else here has been exposed to the band after they were already really good <laughs> uh, um what you guys thought about you know in some of that early material are we diving straight into frail world's collapse no we're diving no, in, no we're doing encasing no. of ashes oh, the wow. first album we are
3: way back here <sighs>
1: I actually don't have access to that. Yeah, you do. It's uh, they they re-released it, Joe, as uh, yeah. a
3: long march.
0: Oh, yeah, that too. It ah. has that and
3: the split and a couple. Uh, okay, of... well, pretend I didn't kill the conversation. And uh, oh, this, go ahead, Jeff. This split. Oh, was <laughs> I <laughs> supposed to grab my vinyl
0: and all that stuff too and showcase all my stuff? No, Dude, just, I don't know, Do you I have to show and tell? i Do you have split a, on vinyl? I'm just being a geek. No, I don't have. This, I have the the two reissues of a. Uh, Okay. real words and uh shadows of security on vinyl I was, I was gonna shit a brick if you had
2: the if you had the uh, the split on vinyl i was gonna i don't
0: think it exists on vinyl. i, I, I don't think it. think it did either, either.
2: but i was yeah. like holy shit if that really exists i'm gonna have to find it and buy it no
0: huh. i mean i have the first corn test press on vinyl
1: Well oh, you should so. send that to me to
3: look at and then, you know,
0: <laughs> i mean i uh, have it on my to instagram every... you can look at there you go <laughs>
3: And before we start talking about things that people should send Dan so he can look at them, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We are on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, so if you have an Amazon Echo or Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at DiscussMetal. Be sure to like favorite And subscribe, it really helps us out It lets us know you're listening And now Dan is going to tell you all about 5 Star Reviews
1: We love 5 Star Reviews here on Discography Discussion Reviews are great Everybody always asks me What can we do to promote your podcast The best thing you can do, leave us a review Reviews help Review numbers actually help us Show up in search results And things like that So if you have an opinion about our podcast Leave it to us And
0: now John's going to tell us all about John's Untitled Podcast I get confused for John Drake, formerly of the Talk to Me Podcast, where people come to my Twitter and tell me that I'm a fat fucking piece of shit. And uh tell me that I shouldn't talk about metal because I only like new metal. So if that is sounds like what you love listening to, then go to the Talk to Me Podcast. And uh otherwise uh <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Um <laughs> That did that did happen though. Someone actually thought it was John Drake. I remember um, that,
1: yeah. There's a whole controversy.
0: It really was. Shut the fuck up, Tony. You're out of your element. If this dude blew up all my socials for about 40 minutes uh, around 3 o'clock in the morning one day, and I was like, what the fuck? What did I do? <laughs> and then I realized he thought it was John Drake, and I go, oh, okay <laughs> you got the wrong dude uh but anyway my podcast uh very much uh in the vein of uh some of the stuff that these guys do uh talk about a lot of the bands that i love we're talking about isley dying that's a band that i've loved for a long time metal metal core even some new metal stuff uh i've kind of covered it all i have a lot of wide-ranging guests um we have had jared montague on someone that you guys have had on um i actually just talked to des from devil driver yesterday nice um we got a lot of we. Why do I say we? There is, it's just me, but collectively <laughs> the the we of my podcast, which is me. Uh, we talked to a lot of different people about a lot of different things. Uh, I had Lauren from Sharp Tooth on. We talked about how much you would pay to drink your own piss. Uh, if that's something you're into. <laughs> uh, I had Andy Williams from Every Time I Die on to talk about uh, his wrestling career and just wrestling in general. I've had a lot of people on um so i think if you like this uh this podcast if you like the talk to me podcast if you like the roach coach if you like a lot of the podcasts that have been on this podcast i think you'll like what i'm doing over there and if not you can hit me up on twitter facebook instagram whatever and tell me that i fucking suck and that's fine with me too as long as you talked about cold chamber with des we're good i did not no actually i didn't what you suck no. it's okay. <laughs> that, that leaves an opportunity for us no, actually, I uh, we talked about the new record that's not out yet, the Country Outlaw record, the Outlaws uh, album that he is putting out. And I got to say, it's actually probably one of the more aggressive Double Driver records you're probably going to hear this year and probably like stacks up against the heaviest thing they've ever put out. Really? And it's a covers record. Yeah, it's it's fucking solid. And I know a lot of people on the internet and so forth have been like, oh, fucking sellouts and everyone, you know, we burned the – burn the priest and for those who can't see me burn the priest in uh, finger quotes a aka uh lamb of god putting out their covers record a lot of bands putting out cover records now even the band we're talking about as late dying has put out uh Decayus or Decus or however you say that that album. And that was basically a, a partial covers record as well. Yep. And it is one of those things uh, where I think it's very much of the time to showcase where a band has come from and the things that they got into to get them into their own thing. But I, I really gotta say this new double driver record I think is gonna really shock some people and I think it's gonna be on a lot of people's year ends list. Really? Lee fucking Ving. Lee fucking Ving. Brock Lindau from Thirty Six Crazy Fist, like sounds so fucking soulful. On the song that he's on, it's so fucking good. Mark Morton lays down some tasty solos on this. On this, uh, the song that he's on. Randy from Lamb of God sounds great. Like, there's so many great guests. And spoiler, <laughs> there might be a sequel.
1: Huh. Nice. You Tune had me in at Brock Lindo. That.
0: You know what? So here's here's the thing. Honestly, um, not mentioning names, but I think you know with people that I've had on my podcast and people that have toured with over the handful of years that he's toured uh been touring for over what 25 years now
2: yeah it's been about uh, that the-
0: yeah i've had the pleasure of talking to some people that have toured with him and that know him and there are some people that were had me kind of worried saying that like he's very reserved and very quiet into himself and there was actually a story that i never told on my chat with him where on Ozfest the year it was free and double driver was on the second stage with bands like behemoth and hate breed and actually that's where i met mike the miz uh, so the good band nice yeah, uh, it was a solid year. And a friend of mine was tour managing uh, this band, Ancla, who used to be Pouya, uh if you remember that band. Hell yeah. And so I went out a couple of times that year to go see my friend uh, and go see OzFest. And the interesting thing about that, all that was, is uh, Des, I brought, we spent collectively between two of my friends and I, we spent about $300 on alcohol and brought it into OzFest because we didn't pay for tickets. And most people weren't interested in anything we had to offer. Like I had like a nice, like $60 bottle of Jack Daniels and people were like, "Uh, Jack Daniels Uh, can't do it. And I was like, okay. And Randy like skated by, Randy from Lamb of God skated by on his longboard. And then uh, long and short of it, I came back after Hatebreed or uh, I'm sorry, Lamb of God set and I came back and all of our booze had been drank with all the, like a a graveyard of Hatebreed shot glasses, the Hatebreed Jaeger shot glasses those like little plastic things that they could toss out for free and shit. And I was like, what the fuck? And then I went to Ramon from, uh, uncle and I'm like, what the fuck? happened?" he goes, Oh, sorry. Uh, we drank all your alcohol. (laughs) 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 Hope that's okay. Hope that's okay. And I want to be like, I mean, it's not like I can be like, can you give it back to me? Uh, you don't want it back. Not the way you're (laughs) going to give it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's coming out of one of two ends and I don't want either one of those. Uh, (laughs) but what was interesting though, is that, uh, actually a side tangent so uh aj barrett from x still remains who was with the showdown at that point when the showdown was still a big christian metal band uh the two times i went and saw us they did not show up one because they were drunk the second time because they were getting tattoos on their buses be that as it may okay but i remember i was talking with aj and he was like oh man i miss home i miss home i miss grand rapids so on and so forth and just wasted and <laughs> i'm 99 90- five percent sure it was someone from behemoth like not in makeup but just the long european face or someone from lordy one or the other we were talking about grand rapids beer founders beer so on and so forth bells and all that shit and this dude stops making out with this girl under one of these tents and just goes american beer you can drink your own urine and it would taste like your beer european beer is the best and that then just went to keep making out on this podcast just just went to keep making out with this chick and i was like okay <laughs> i was like that's that's the thing this guy said and uh and then i was like and the fact that he stopped making out with a girl and tell me that american beer tastes like urine uh is pretty interesting it's something i've never forget forgotten um that Ozfest though like it was just so sweet i mean dez and i ended up ending up on their bus drinking dez's wine which i don't think he does anymore since he's sober now and and a vegan um and that was where i was going with this is that dez was like oh do you like wine I was like i'm more of a red kind of guy and he goes oh well we just have this uh this new red so on and so forth and i remember us drinking wine and then like when we got off their bus uh after talking about red wine and you know i'm more into port and shit and just talking about wine and stuff and being like i remember at one point i was just like i'm talking to des from cold chamber about port wine red wine wine in general like what the fuck is my life right now and then <laughs> it's i got fucking off the awesome bus and, I, and then i remember getting off the bus and there's a kid i went to high school with it was like two years below me and he was like oh my god des oh cold chamber oh double driver i love you oh it was like all excited and he was like oh my god doug what's up my nickname because i look like doug from uh The TV show. Yeah, I I used to have a flat top. It's mainly the nose. I know that. Um, But it was one of those things, like, Des looked at me and he's like, do you know this guy? And I was like, uh, no. And I pushed the guy aside. I pulled the the dick move, but... I almost brought that up yesterday to be like, Des, do you remember this time you and I had uh, some of your wine uh, on the bus of Ozfest? But I was like, you're sober now, and that'd kind of be a dick. And we would be like, you remember when you had a, like a wine company, and actually, and, and I will say this, it was a really good wine. If you're into wine, it was pretty good stuff. So Dan. Yeah. Tell me about As I Lay Dying. <laughs> Tell me about Zayo and how you really feel about them. Oh, my God, dude. Oh. <laughs>
2: Are you ready to stay here for like the next 48 hours? <laughs> Here's the Murphy thing I could eggs. talk about
1: Zayo for about 10 hours. But for that's, your guys' That's a conservative sake, number. <laughs> I'm going to anyway. try to do it in nine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> if we can do it over some uh, eggs over Miami, I'll, I'll be happy. Oh, with fuck that.
1: yeah, dude. Denny's, you and me, we'll go. It'd be great. Uh
0: they they now deliver it to your house so we can have a candlelight at Denny's meal. <laughs> How disgusting is oh, that by the way. Oh.
1: <laughs> I don't care. I mean I'm I'm so overweight at this point. <laughs> Just, I'm like honestly it's not gonna it's not gonna be that long before you guys get like a see like something on Facebook that's like loving father died
0: of congestive heart failure i mean it's well hey hey it was his week it was his weekend with his kids right, and that's the only right. Amount of money after child's board he could afford to pay for oh my god dude i took those, my those jenny's cheese sticks are amazing
1: shit i took my kids to qdoba today i'm sorry <laughs> you gotta edit this oh my god i took my kids to qdoba today and like they well, in didn't every direction. they didn't eat <laughs> they didn't eat like barely My any God, of their nachos. God, <laughs> so like I ate a Qdoba burrito. And Wait, then
0: hold on, hold on. and then they hold didn't on, finish. Hold on. You go to Qdoba and get burritos. Fuck that. They don't know how to do that. Get a bowl. Get fuck, a bowl with some chips. Fuck you. Okay, the fuck d- you You're, the, you're not getting the, enough bang for your
1: buck. The the <laughs> fucking I don't give a shit about that. So money? I got a I got a burrito. I, yeah, ate I ate the whole thing
0: on where you are. in
1: three minutes and forty-eight seconds, and my kids were like, "Yeah, we like these nachos. They're pretty cool, but they're like little girls, so they ate like four nachos each." And I was like, "Fuck!" So I was like, "Do you want daddy to eat your nachos?" And they're like, "Yes." So I, I not oh, only nom, ate nom, uh, nom. I not only ate a Qdoba burrito, but I ate my children's nachos. On top of that, and I actually considered going back up to the counter and asking if they had, if I could get, like, a bowl of chips and queso. Like, fuck. Anyway. Hey, don't sell a skinny guy short. Well, I'm not
2: as skinny as I used to be, but I think I could out-eat Dan. Timestamp this now, Joe.
1: (laughs)
0: <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> for posterity? Your posterity? Fuck,
1: we've been talking for 50 minutes and we haven't even started the fucking episode. I
0: yeah,
2: oh, okay. kind of sort of have.
0: I'm really sorry. Welcome
1: to the discography discussion.
0: I mean, the interesting thing though about to me and in and, and all of our podcasts is like, you know, to me was very defined by the new metal scene, like that's obviously his scene. And with him touring with Primer 55, like he got very immersed in that new metal scene. But what's interesting, you know, with all of us, I think is that we grew up in the, the eighties hair metal scene and there's definitive, definitive, genres of the heavy metal scene like there was an 80s hair metal scene there was the new metal scene then there became metalcore and metalcore was one of those scenes for me that felt like mine it was my thing and it came around in the early the late 90s early 2000s and i really identified it identified with it because of just it feeling underground at the time with so many of the bands i was listening to and you know honestly dan something you know between you and i talking so much over the last like two weeks about just art influences and so forth, uh, in the heavy metal as a Christian was, was Asley dying as big in that scene as they seem to be, or did they just kind of use that as more of a, a launching point? Like very much like bands like Norma Jean and, you know, under oath and so forth.
1: Yeah. I mean, they were like Asley dying was like really hot shit in the Christian scene because, Before we had Islay Dying, we had bands like Zayo, Living Sacrifice, um, Ludacris, or Norma Jean. And they were were pushing this metalcore thing really far for what they were doing. And before Norma Jean, there was a band called Training for Utopia that was really big. Where were they they from? They were from, I believe, California. And believe it or not, the guys from Training for Utopia were the guys that went on to become Demon Hunter. And, kinda... uh, and what was interesting is that they were like a chaotic metalcore band in training for Utopia. And so there was a lot, like, there was this whole spirit-filled Christian hardcore movement from the mid to late 90s with, like, bands like Focused and Unashamed and Overcome and all that. And, like, so all of that kind of culminated in... Metalcore is kind of unique in the sense that, like, how much Christian music actually affected that genre yeah because we used to joke that like 70 percent of the metalcore bands you hear are christian Christian, you know
0: (laughs) and uh well out of curiosity i mean since you seem to be more of a uh, more knowledgeable on this than i am because like my wife and i upon getting together and, and realizing we have a lot of bands and touring history of going to see a lot of the same shows you know christian metalcore was a really big thing in the the early to mid you know 2000s yeah I know we're getting out of high school and so forth were, were labels like were people into labels like solid state and tooth and nail as much as like people a little bit beyond me, maybe some of like you guys who were big into like roadrunner bands because they were on roadrunner and people were more fascinated with bands on a label because they knew it was going to be quality product. Were you finding that? Yes. With, you know, tooth and nail and solid state.
1: Yes, absolutely. And like, Tooth and Nail on solid state were Christian hardcore for the right. longest time. I mean, you had you had bands on Tooth and Nail that weren't necessarily Christian, like Frotus and you know, like stuff like that. But like for the most part, it was Christian metal and Christian hardcore bands. And you know, even a band like Frotus is even if they don't want to admit it, they probably got popular with a lot of Christians because they were on Tooth and Nail. You know, and like that was that was the whole thing. I don't think that the Spirit filled Hardcore movement was like as big as I feel like it was because i was i was like really into that at that time but like yeah it was definitely all about solid state for the longest time like you know who who's the newest solid state band and then and then face Down records came by later and they did kind of the same thing and it was more of like a more of like a tough guy hardcore kind of kind of label but like they expanded out obviously to, to include bands like symphony apparel and sinai beach and bands like that and like so yeah, I think for a long time, it was really kind of a big deal in the Christian scene. Like, because we had all these great bands that nobody had ever heard of, you know, like we had Zayo, we had living sacrifice. We had bands that were bands that were actually like, could go toe to toe with their secular counterparts, you know? And so when Ashley dying came out, they were kind of the same sort of thing. They were like, okay, they're, they're taking the best aspects of Zayo you know, and then, like, dude, when when Frail Words Collapse came out, it was, like, a revelation to a lot of us. Because it was, like, they were... Because I think I think around that time, I think it was, like, two years later, after Frail Words came out, that Living Sacrifice went on this, like, hiatus. And they disappeared for, like, five years. And so bands like Asley Dying were kind of, like, considered the torchbearers of that scene. And that they were playing, like, hardcore, metalcore kind of stuff, but they were like, they they were doing it on like a metal level and like, what was weird about Azalea Dying was that they, obviously they weren't on Tooth and Nail or Solid State, they weren't on Face Down Records or Bridge Nine. Right, they were this new band that was playing metalcore and they were Christian, they were very Christian about, uh, Christian starting out and like, they were A really huge deal because we noticed that when Frail Words Collapse came out that it was like a really popular record and like people that weren't Christians were getting into it and that was one of the very first times that we saw that like in the Christian metalcore or hardcore scene because a lot of people would be like you'd listen to a band like Focused or Unashamed and their Christian message was just so strong and so out in front that you know, like it was, it turned people off. But as LA Dying was a band that still had the Christian message, still had the Christian leanings, but for some reason, nobody gave a shit. Like they were okay with it. Like the, the general masses were totally fine with Frail Words Collapse because it's not shoving Jesus down your throat, it's not, you know, like, hey, we want you guys to conform to this sort of thing. It was more of like a okay. So there's this band they play awesome metal but their lead singer is a Christian and he's had a lot of like spiritual things go on and but it was like really relatable to the average person without it being like this weird contrived like because I think with Christian music before that it was kind of like it was preachy. Yeah, you kind of had to drink the Kool-Aid to an extent to get behind every song whereas with Hazely Dying it wasn't that way. Yeah, I, I, I think you're hitting on it. it, it they,
2: they were a Christian band. They just they were a band that happened to have Christians in it. I think is is probably the best way to put it. I don't think they really projected themselves as, hey, we you know, come to our, our show so we can preach to you because that's actually a little you know a lot of that other stuff was you know, you felt like, well at least I did because I'm not, I'm I'm not in I'm I'm more of a Gothenburg guy so. For me it was it was hard to relate to with these guys it was pretty easy because it was like yeah so what they're they're christians but they they're they're more about making metal than they are about trying to convert me that that's how i felt about them initially was like all right these guys are cool you know because they're not making the fact the the christianity is not the focal point they just happen to be christians making good music and, and for me that was appealing because i was just like they're just dudes you know and that and for me that was more important and i I think they did a really good job of uh, actually being at the forefront of the commercialization of Metalcore. I think they, uh, they pushed it longer and harder than anybody else did, even whenever you consider Killswitch in there. I, I still think As I Lay Dying was the torchbearer for longer than anybody else was as far as the commercialization of, of, of Metalcore. And they pushed longer and harder
0: than anybody else did. But that's just
2: my personal opinion. I could be wrong.
0: Part of the thing about having, and I, I the thing I love about your guys' podcast, and I, I think that most people love about the podcast as a whole, is feeling like they're a part of a conversation to have with everyone's friends. Like, you would, we would all have this conversation if the microphones were not on. Like, I have these conversations with my friends. Like, I love this record. I love this band. I love these things about these people. So something I told Daniel in leading up to this conversation, because basically, I kind of picked this Narrative of As lay Dying being our discography discussion. So, something I, I researched was the Faulkner book uh, that the band grabbed their name from. The quote specifically that the band grabbed their name from the line is As Lay Dying, the woman with the dog's eyes would not close my eyes as I descended into Hell, into Hades. So, a very Christian undertones, very obviously uh, a part of that. Interestingly enough, the book has been, you know, it was written in the 1930s and has kind of been described as like a gothic, you know, book. Interestingly enough, the band has been described as taking influences from the Gothenburg style and leanings so it's interesting like although the band has always said like there's nothing about the book that we identify with it has nothing to do with our band or anything but it's weird to look back now all these years later and be like the book was a gothic leaning style of writing the band kind of took a gothenburg bird thing from the you know European metal scene and what's interesting about frail words collapse at least you know we already had kind of talked about the EP and the EP basically became half of what became Fred Award's collapse. And I think that was a very common thing. Like you look at Atreyu, you look at the uh, the EP Visions or whatever. Half of Visions became what became Suicide Notes and Butterfly Effects. I think that was kind of the theme and the the, the groundwork for a lot of the metalcore scene is like there would be an EP that no one heard of and half of the EP would then be re-released in the best versions of the songs from those EPs uh, would make the final cut as the half of the new record, which would become their full first full length. And what's interesting, though, is to me, like, there's some stuff about where it's collapsed that I don't know if anyone's really talked about. But, like, something in doing research for this discussion that I did, even didn't know about until I really took the deep dive. Did any of you know that Jacob Bannon from Converge did the album artwork for, like, the first couple records? I actually did know that. You fucking heard. It's very obvious.
1: <laughs> no, but it's very obvious that it's him.
0: Well, I mean, that was the thing. Is like, I was like, because coincidentally, as I got the you know the vinyl of the first couple of records on you know in the mail recently, I kept looking at. I was like, man, this shit's so like it's so specific. Like the style, like everything about it, it's very unique unto itself. But it seems very similar. And then when I kind of did my dive on on the band. And I saw that Jacob Band and Converge did it, and I was like, oh, fuck, it makes so much sense now. Like, like this band was really set up for success, because, I mean, what band can you really think of that was, like, on their, their real first major label, you know, debut has... And, and granted, Converge isn't at the level that they are now back then, but, I mean... Jacob Bannon's doing production. And interestingly enough, on the first handful of records, the band was producing their own shit. Like, that's interesting to me. Like, I don't know if it is to you. Like, I don't know how interesting, how into production any of you guys get, but the fact that, you know, one of the things to me is like how this record, you know, Fred Ward's Collapse sounds, I think is just in how raw it is. And the fact that Tim and Evan, uh, their guitar player at the time, make, you know, produce this record. And the fact that a guitar player and a vocalist, were able to make a record that sounds really good un- unilaterally across the board like where nothing is fighting for space really is interesting to me well the drums really like dominate the production
1: on their record and oddly the drummer had nothing to do with it it was a huge deal though cuz i remember like that that double bass segment in 94 hours oh yeah was like the talk of the town Yes. Forever, even though it's funny because I listen to it now and I'm like, I don't know if that was real or if that was monetized. But uh, the weird (laughs) thing about it is that, like, I remember being this huge deal to people because, like, at this time, you know, Metalcore was basically new metal. Like, there were bands like Killswitch Engage that, like kind of bridge the gap in the sense of like we're playing metalcore but we have all these melodic singing so people that are into like mud and stuff like that are probably going to appreciate this
0: but you're t- sorry to cut you off you're talking about in because re- we've re- referenced reference kill switch a couple of times now kill switch and bands like unearth kill switch god forbid uh, you know there's so darkest much of that hour. new england darkest hour there's so much of that new england shadows fall there's so much of that new england you know metal what we become metal metal core but it was the new england wave of like heavy metal that put its stamp on everything and it's like Kill, or i'm sorry Esley dying were like on the other coast they're on the west coast dealing with this shit and not sounding like anybody else is coming out at that time it's such a weird anomaly to think about that like with like you know you're saying like, with bands like kill switch on like all the bands from the new england side of things which eventually Spoiler alert! Uh, Adam D would produce a bunch of Asleep Dying records. It, it's just weird to see how much, as how much attention Asleep Dying was getting so early on for what they were doing, considering they weren't a part of the scene that was setting the metalcore scene on fire at the time.
1: Well, yeah, and what I can't figure out is how they got as popular as they did, being as extreme as
0: they were. Uh, do you think it was touring, honestly? I mean, because touring was a it still is a big thing. The bands they were touring with the time, I think were like bands honestly, like bands like Kill Switch Himza, which was a I can't believe in uh, side changing. I can't believe Himza has never gotten the the just due that they honestly deserve for bridging European and U- American metal together. Like they were so far ahead of their time and they just never got the credit they deserved.
1: Well, I think what it was is that like I think by 2003, everybody was tired of new metal. Yeah, I think that I'll had been that. played out. And especially living in a town like St. Louis, which I've said, you know, like historically is like 15 years behind the time. <laughs> I mean, Sorry. like our, our local new rock alternative station plays shit
0: like Breaking Benjamin, Breaking yes, Benjamin, all or, the
1: fucking time. Or like even stuff like Stone Temple Pilots and stuff like it, like it's like it's still relevant.
0: I think that's what alternative radio as a whole has become now, though.
1: Right, it's all butt rock, basically. And, like, the thing is, is that, like, I don't mind those old bands, you know, because they were doing something original at the time, too, like Azalea Dying was doing in 2003. But, like, I think it was just interesting that people were tired of new metal. They wanted something heavier. They wanted something that was more metal. You know, that was a little bit less like backwards baseball cap and, and rappy and like faux tough guy. Because that's, that's one thing that I, that I revisit a lot on this podcast is the whole idea of like tough guy metal. Okay. And like, Azalea Dying was not that. They had very, they were, they were aggressive. They were ball busting. They were fucking heavy. But the thing about them was that they weren't like, using that heaviness as like a, I'm gonna beat your ass, you know, uh, your girlfriend wants to fuck me, she doesn't want to fuck you, you know, like that sort of stuff, and like that was, that really spoke to me, especially being like a Christian metalcore fan at the time, you know, I wasn't into bands that were like that, and to a certain extent I'm still not, but like that, that whole like faux, misogynistic, you know, tough guy stuff, as They Dying didn't have that. So I think that's why they spoke to as many people as they did. In that, like, hey, you can be really aggressive, but the aggressiveness is about your emotions. It's about what you're actually feeling. And I feel like Frail Words Collapse is that 100% because it's a very melodic record. It hits you in the feels and places. I mean, like that singing part in Distance is Darkness.
0: By the way. A friend of mine and I, like one of my best friends, him and I have this thing for the... And it was a thing of, of that time frame that I don't know if... There's, there's things that As Dying as a whole has done over their whole career that are very in the moment of their career, of the time that the album is coming out. And so The Distance is Darkness, there's a part in that song where around that time, in the early like 2003-2004... A lot of bands are doing that thing, like where it was a raw vocal, and you would hear the <gasps> thing before yeah. a song would cut into whatever. Yeah. And like that was always something on that record that, like, we're always like, ah, this is like so raw, so real, so emotional. And it's like that was a, a stamp of the time because so many bands of that that genre were doing that, like like where most people would probably edit out the, the breath in the the deep breathe in before the, the scream or whatever's coming they left that in and there were a lot of bands of that, that time frame that did that and I feel like as like dying for for better or worse has always kind of had their finger on the pulse of whatever studio tricks things of the bands of their time frame, the things that they do. I feel like they've always done really well with kind of having something that stamps the time frame of when those records came out. I mean, do you agree with me on that or no? Yeah,
1: no, I definitely heard that, and that's why I liked about the record because like even back then, I was still a little bit more of an elitist in the sense of like. I want stuff that's real. I want stuff that's raw. I want stuff that's emotional. Like, I wasn't thrilled that Forever had singing in it because at that time, at that time, 1998 1998 through 2003, singing was not welcome in metalcore.
2: I think um, going back as far as um, why they're popular... Or
1: why,
0: as, as, as a, a wh- wholeer from that, at that time, no, no, at, at especially that time, in the Christian
1: scene.
2: Yeah, no, okay. we were yeah. talking about you know because they were you were saying how heavy they are and why were they so popular even with as heavy as they are. I think it's a natural progression of the whole aspect of counterculture with pop music. I mean, you had hair metal, and
0: right. then
2: you had grunge, and then you had new metal, and, and I just think it was. Uh, once you split the rap out of the new metal, you had something that was really heavy. and people wanted still wanted something that was heavy. And, and I think that's where uh, the uh, mainstream metal core came in, especially uh, once you got past the point of uh, like what Dan was saying, like you know from like 97, 2003, like clean singing was not acceptable. As soon as clean singing became acceptable in metalcore, I think that's when it blew up on a a global scale. That's whenever you you had like you, you had all these bands you know just coming out of nowhere. That you know if you weren't in this, if you didn't have your finger on the pulse of the scene, you're like, well, where'd all these heavy bands come from? You know, where's As I Lay Dying and you know Atreyu and. Uh, kill switch engage and bullet for my Valentine all this stuff all of a sudden just boom here it is and I think it's it's because uh, some producer somewhere was super fucking smart and uh, or you know just knew what was coming and and was able to bridge that gap and bring the counterculture of you know needing something heavy but still making it radio friendly I, I think that's super important and I think it if we go into it further, I mean, I think as soon as Phil was in the band, I, I mean, I, that's when they really exploded. I think Phil was way more important than people realize to making that band popular. His clean singing is exactly what radio-friendly people are looking for. Now, wh- whether we like it or not, that's that's a, that's a different argument. But for radio-friendly. Phil's clean vocals were super important, I think, on making, you know, tons of teenagers in early 20s buy their records.
0: So two two things on that, and I think Dan's about ready to correct you on that as well. Uh, two things on that. I wonder how much of Headbangers Ball 2, or Headbangers Ball, The Second Incarnation, had a big impact on what would become you know the 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 metal core scene between your bands like atreyu your esley dyings and so forth how much that would end up having to be an extra platform for more main the mainstream getting into this thing secondly to your point of phil's clean vocals um
2: something i kind of wanted them.
0: yeah he didn't do them uh definitely oh, sorry. i was gonna yeah. So, um, actually, I have a note here that uh, Dave Arthur of Kings, Kings to You, I believe, is the band, uh, did the vocals for Shadows of Security because the bass player at the time, which was Clint Norris, didn't have, and, and again, for people who won't see this, "quote unquote" powerful enough vocals, uh, according to Tim and the rest of the band. Excuse me, the rest of the band. Um, so at that point, there was. I, I definitely agree with you I think the addition of Nick and Phil Segroso, and Nick Hippa the guitar players just really cemented what uh, Jordan was doing on drum. Jordan is one of the best drummers of the fucking metalcore scene, just in general, of the the scene as a whole. And the fact that when they added Nick and Phil, I think because they added them toward the very end of the touring cycle of Frail Words Collapse, and I remember reading a Guitar World interview with Nick and he was saying that I remember going into, before they started recording what would become Shadows of Security, he was like I remember playing songs off of Frail Words Collapse and thinking, oh my god, these are the most insane songs I've ever had to learn how to play like, the parts of them are so crazy but honestly, you listen to Frail Words Collapse to Shadows of Security and you're like, holy shit this band just went from like, here to like the next fucking level and I gotta say, it's like, you know, like I, I just made mention, Jordan was a phenomenal drummer and anyone who listens to Frail Words, coll- Words Collapse has to admit that they their drumming on is phenomenal. And it isn't until you get to a song like uh, Elegy, where I feel like you see the band going where they potentially could and where they do go as far as the different production tricks and some of the stuff that they do with the songwriting... But, man, I remember getting getting Shadows of Security and hearing the opening two tracks. Uh, I can't remember the first track by name, but I know Confined is the second track. And it's like you just hear that riff. And I just remember the video, like all the rain pouring down on these, like, and no homo, like, old, like, fucking hashtag before hashtags were invented. No homo, but, like, <laughs> dudes in tight black T-shirts in the rain just fucking shredding and, like, beating shit. And I remember just being like... This is As Lay really Dying how they should be. The band as it stands on Shadows of Security are what's going to take this band to that next level. And I'll be, no pun intended, I'll be goddamned if that band didn't reach that next level on the strength of how the musicianship of Shadows of Security was. I'll be the first to
2: admit I'm definitely a neophyte when it comes to like knowing band members and who does what when it comes to As They Lay Dying who did the clean vocals on an ocean between us
0: ocean between us uh actually that's a fun fact too so the first song uh that had clean vocals tim actually did the pre-production version of the of the clean vocals and then everyone liked how it sounded so they kept them um so for the first time on recorded Stuff Tim did clean vocals, semi-clean uh, vocals on An Ocean Between Us. But basically, that was where they had ended up getting um, Josh, uh, the bass player, who would end up being on the bass, playing bass for them throughout the rest of the, the tenure of the band. Uh, he did clean vocals from there on out. Uh, Shadows to Security. So it was Josh had, that
2: did everything. Uh, uh, from uh, there on Okay. Yeah. yeah from there on out. That's I. I. That's my fault for saying earlier that it was Phil and it sh- Phil. I guess I should have said Josh. He
0: he does do backing vocals though. To be fair.
2: Okay, but that that album, I think that's like the, uh, that album is like the standard bearer for like commercialized metalcore. That that <laughs> is it, that that is exactly what they were looking for for radio play. I guess is what I was trying to get at earlier. I just. I just accredited the incorrect person.
0: No, I, th- I mean, but that's the thing though, is I think a lot of people don't realize because they got the bass player, Clint Norris, who had like sleeves and was like super skinny and had like the long hair and was very much of the metal core look to the band, especially on that record. He was, pro- he was projected as doing all of the clean vocals on shadows of security. And if you end up watching the documentary, uh, this is who we are. They end up talking about how Clint wasn't able to produce powerful enough vocals for the choruses of what they were looking for. So as a result, like I said, they ended up getting uh, Dave Arthur of Kings to you to do the vocals because they were the vocals that they needed. So basically, if you ever saw Esley dying on the Shadows, Shadows of Security record, which I mean, they toured with amazing bands like Killswitch Engage and Soilwork was one of the tours that came around here in Michigan. Um, i Soilwork's mean basically speaking one of my to favorites. Either, <laughs> speak, speaking to either end of uh, their 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 influences, um, but it's one of those things that like if you saw them live with Clint, you were just like, "This don't sound quite like a record." And. It took a little bit of research. I mean, the Internet being what it is now was not what it was back then. So, I mean, the fact that you found out that Clint wasn't the one singing on the record wasn't as easily accessible as it is now to find out. But no, I totally agree with you. Like the the, the strong hooks and choruses of Shadows Our Security is one of the things that I think leads that to being one of the more definitive records of the metalcore sound. Uh, at the time, because I, before we get, you know, no spoiler alert, but by the time we get to an ocean between us, like, holy fuck, like that band is hitting on all cylinders. But I think the fact that you're, you're seeing what Nick Hippa and Phil Segroso, uh, as the guitar players, the two guitar players and Jordan's, uh, you know, drumming ability, I think you're just seeing this band, starting to reach its full potential and that's what's amazing to look back on now is like i remember listening to this record when it first came out and just being like this is just leaps and bounds above what for Words collapse is and the crazy thing is, is like it was still self-produced basically just like for Words collapse was and just hear just a sonic difference in the the two records with the new members you're just like man i it, <laughs> if you weren't a free, fan of for Words collapse and you listen to Shadows a Security, and you're not like on board. Like I, I don't know what the fuck you're into as far as metalcore, because like that is like one of the definitive, like the turning point kind of of metalcore and what it can be and what it should be. I don't, I don't know if any of you. Well, agree I, with I, that I'm, I, I'm, gonna,
2: I'm agreeing with you. I, I think Dan might have a different perspective. I want to jump in here. Yeah, I know, I
1: knew he would because Jeff, please do, Jeff, please do. Dan's <laughs> going to jump in. So. Not, it- not to be as what Joe would describe it as all Dan Terry about it <laughs> but Shadows it of Hillier? Security was a little bit of a disappointment for me.
0: Okay, can I ask you why?
1: Yes, you can. <laughs> so <laughs> Shadows of Security was kind of so frail words was huge. I love frail for, words. For
0: for you or because here's for something everyone, I've learned. it was a revolution. You all have been doing podcasts long enough now and talked about a lot of different bands' discographies. And I've talked to different people about specific albums and their discographies. Are you able to look at it as just a fan and talking about the you as a fan? Or are you looking at it now as someone who's kind of talked to people about this, this genre and this time frame? And you're looking at it from that perspective?
1: Well... I think for me, it's a little bit of both, because I'll give both perspectives on it. Okay. So, what I'm talking about right now is how I felt when this record came out. Okay. So, at the time, I was still very into Christian metalcore. Okay. That was my thing. Which is funny, because at this time, if you were into Christian metalcore, you were into metalcore. (laughs) Overall. Whether it be Christian or not. And I remember... At that time, I had started to move a little bit less towards metalcore and a little bit more into death metal. Like, don't get me wrong, metalcore was my start for checking out more extreme bands. So, like, for me as a fan, I was starting to check out stuff that was, like, a little bit more extreme than actually dying. And so Christian metalcore as a genre had exploded by that time. We had bands like Nodes of Ranvier. We had bands like symphony in peril we had all these we had all these newer bands that had popped up and you know Zao was still doing their thing albeit it was weird but they were <laughs> at that time <laughs> and Sorry. so it was one of those, heal thyself. it was one of those weird moments in history where it was like i had gotten really into Gothenburg death metal at the time i was okay. a huge fan of bands like as at the gates Totally, and bands like In Flames, Dark Tranquillity.
2: <laughs> so oh. then I started. Well, hold hearing... on, hold
0: on, Can I, hold on! Just to cut you off right there, something I've always wanted to talk about. You, with you two mentioning those two bands, you are aware that those two band singers used to yes. because yeah. they came from. You, you're very aware that they Go used listen to still to our write In Flames for each Flames other. Episode, John. Yeah,
2: yeah, we have a we went <laughs> we went ape shit on that episode.
0: We <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting to I find did though, too. Not that, as because like, a you. lot of people don't know that. Uh, Anders and the singer from Dark Quinllity Chil- wrote with each other for each other's albums like yes mm-hmm. I mean fiction by Dark, Tr- Dark Tr- Ah Tranquility is still one of my favorite fucking records like of that time period it's still so fucking good yeah anyway sorry go ahead continue. so I
1: was really into bands like that okay and that's whenever I started realizing that a lot of the metalcore bands that I was that I was into at the time were more or less... Ripping off or directly borrowing from. Because I was like really into un- Unearth for a while.
0: <sighs> and underrated band.
1: They are underrated, but at that time, Unearth is a band that got better over time. Totally. Whereas in their early form.
0: Talking like The Oncoming Storm or even yes. prior? Yeah, okay.
1: Oncoming Storm. Specifically. Okay. And so when I heard Shadows of Security, I heard a little bit of what. Agility Dying had established on Fair World's Collapse. I still was into the record. I mean, you can't listen to a song like Confined and be like, this is bullshit. Like, nobody, nobody thought that, you know? <laughs> so, like, I mean, there are definitely songs I like about it. Um, Control Denied, I believe Dan from Zeo was on that song. Go back and listen to it. Dan from Zeo was on Shadows of Security. Which I mean, okay. for me, that's a fucking trump card, you know. Like that. I mean, the
0: only song I can honestly think of that Dan's been on, and because of my lack of knowledge on Zao, is the last still remains record. It's okay, buddy. We'll 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 talk. But okay. uh, <laughs> basically, basically,
1: with Dan from Zao, I mean, obviously being a phenomenal vocalist. But the problem I have with Shadows is that I kind of felt like a lot of the songs ran together. Mm. You have a very consistent sound. Yes. It is more technical than frail words, you know. Yeah, from a from a purely musician standpoint, it is superior. However, it isn't necessarily more interesting to my ears. And like, confined was great. Darkest nights was great. Um, Morning waits is one of my favorite Asleep Dying songs, like bar none. Love it. However, I kind of felt like, at that time, looking at the context of what I was into, it kind of seemed a little bit trite, in my opinion. Now, in 2018, I had to go back and listen to all these records again. Like, really listen to them. And yes, I found Shadows of Security to be much more musical, like musically sound, than what we had on Frail Words. Frail Words had a lot of, like, old-school Metalcore shit in
0: there. It had a lot of parts. It was a lot of parts put together.
1: It wasn't necessarily songs, whereas, like, with Shadows, they kind of, like, wrote better songs. But at the same time, I'm hearing riffs that I've heard on Inflames Records. I'm hearing parts. And so, like, at the time, being kind of more of an asshole, whereas, I mean, I'm still an asshole, for sure. But, like... It's one of those things where it really was kind of a darker spot for me because I had already been introduced to Ashley Dying. If you had listened to the band only on Shadows On, you'd be like, this is the greatest fucking thing I've heard in my life. But I hadn't. I had been listening ever since Encasing of Ashes. So, like, I saw the band change. And then whenever we got to Shadows of Security, it was like, Oh, fuck. It's Gothenburg riffs with metalcore breakdowns and a screaming vocalist. And it was just one of those, like, it's cool, but it's kind of pedestrian in the sense of, like, if you're somebody that is just jumping ship from new metal to metalcore, I could understand how you love this record. But as a fan of the band from as early on as I was, I was kind of like, yeah, this is okay, but it's not amazing. And you know like yeah okay there were guitar solos on Chats of security but there weren't on Ch- Flowers collapse but like as a metalcore fan I wasn't like as into guitar solos you know like I wasn't into all that noodly shit so I kind of found it to be a little bit like I said like a little bit more trite but listening to it now I'm like holy fuck like I skipped way less songs on Shadows of Security than I did on Frail Words when I was doing my re-listen, so that just that just shows you the growth like from me over the past you know thirteen years or fourteen years you know like it's definitely um, a better record and I can appreciate that as a music critic now versus being just a fanboy back in the
0: day do you I mean something for me as a as a fan of the band as a fan of someone who latches on to production tricks and so forth even though I don't know production at all um one of the songs that like I think really exemplifies the growth of the band and kind of something they they ended up doing over the course of their career a song like Reflection it's fucking disgustingly heavy but then they have that pan breakdown where it's like in your like left ear when you're listening to headphones or if you have a really good sound system Uh, pan breakdown like left to right then a bass drop and then during like so when the everyone comes back in there's a fucking bass drop so when you hear it in headphones it's like (parents) like you hear that and then like when the I think by the fourth measure of the the same breakdown riff another uh, bass drop hits like there's shit like that where it's like there wasn't anything like that on frail words collapse or anything like that like where it's like they're they're very and again like something that you know i can constantly bring up in in talking about albums on my podcast is you know as much as i i love production I, I i don't know shit about production logistically um but i mean like that pan breakdown like that just is something that was sort of a sort of up its time like i can think of like some unearth riffs and some other stuff where it's like if you have a good pair of headphones like there'd be pan breakdowns like there is a band here locally the band the orphan and they had a they had a pan breakdown and they were like oh it was totally inspired by shadows of security so i mean i think that kind of speaks to the the relevance of shadows of security on the metalcore scene that you know, like, you, you know, we brought up like, bands like Unearth, and we've talked about the Gothenburg sound of bands like At The Gates and In Flames and so forth. And I mean, even further to the point of like, you know, In Flames being ripped off. Uh, everyone's probably have seen that YouTube video of uh, a short you on Earth of uh, a right side of the bed. And uh, I can't remember the In Flames song, but I know it definitely was very borrowed. It was the form. hive off of Horacle. Yep. Okay yeah but i mean like so i didn't say it i was gonna say it. (laughs) okay but i was gonna say like there's obviously like bands of this time frame that ripped off in flames hardcore no and no pun intended on either realm but i mean it's one of those things where shadows of security i think like i think it really is a benchmark album of the scene and i don't know that a lot of people feel that way about it i i i'm gonna agree with you i
2: think it's the uh, i don't think it's their best work
0: no it's it definitely is not their best work but, but it is a benchmark of the scene
2: right it definitely it was a uh, production it was, yeah it was a turning of the corner like it the first song i heard off this album was confined
0: oh, it's disgustingly heavy
2: and i was like holy shit like this is what i want i like it, it's 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 tight it's it's clean
3: it's heavy as hell
0: can uh, we it, ask the producer of this podcast how he feels about the production of this album
3: So here's the thing about (laughs) metalcore Okay The bass drum is triggered
0: I got that out of the way Oh, for for sure We're moving
3: on from the triggered bass drum Yes, everybody ripped off in flames Mm -hmm. But there became a point where As I Lay Dying took the trophy home And they were the standard bearers of this type of metalcore Yes Everybody ripped off As I Lay Dying However we got to where we were On this record This is now the band that everybody ripped off For guitar players Everybody knows the As I Lay Dying riff The 8753578 pull off riff We did it Everybody knows it On our album We did it The other side of that coin We've talked about before there was a point where everybody ripped off Hope's Fall. But then they started ripping off Under Oath After Underoath ripped off Hope's Fall. So there's the Hope's Fall interval of the <laughs> open eight, ten, seven. Everybody knows that. And every I'm sorry, I'm
0: gonna give credit to Jamie Josta. He calls that the area code riff. Yep. (laughs) I'm just saying 616, 810. That's right. Like sometimes when I get stagnant on like some breakdown riffs or whatever, some grooves, like I'll remember like Jost always talks about area code riffs and I'll start busting out some area code riffs and I'll be goddamned. Again, pun intended on this podcast. I'll be goddamned if uh, sometimes those area code riffs don't like give you some inspiration to write some new shit. And everybody did it. So totally how I
3: feel about it. It was good for what it was. It changed what was popular. And I still ask myself, how did this type of metal become popular? And the answer what is... Your is answer? What is your answer? My answer is it wasn't what was popular before. It wasn't shitty pop music with auto-tune. It wasn't new metal. It wasn't rap. It was metal being played by people that listened to underground bands who said, how do we make this poppy? And like all strange pop trends, it was an accident. Nobody told me in 1999 that in three years, pop music would be heavy metal with hardcore vocals.
0: How do the other two of you feel about that?
1: You want to take this first, Jeff, or you want me to dig it? (laughs) Do Do
0: you agree? Do you agree with that sentiment?
1: I didn't appreciate it being poppy. I think that was my thing
0: what what do you mean by being poppy you didn't appreciate the poppiness coming into your metal or yes
1: yes i didn't appreciate the poppiness coming into my metal and again that's just an asshole statement but here we are so i think i think it's totally legit it was one of those like because even even whenever we were talking about fair words collapse and i was talking about forever i didn't necessarily appreciate having those melodic choruses so songs i didn't appreciate songs having choruses
0: Why can I ask why This is uh,
1: because it's just not something that I'm That I'm necessarily into Like there's no denying a good chorus Like I said there's a there's a huge difference Between me in 2018 Versus me in 2004 You're not an elitist anymore I'm not as much of an elitist I was gonna say
0: but like you still seem to identify With those Those uh feelings So do you do you still feel that way
1: Not necessarily like okay. I said, I'm, I'm much more open to a poppy chorus. I'm much more open to a listenable. On our last podcast that the, the probably just posted last week, I was talking about we were doing Album of the Week because we do that at the end of the podcast, so get ready for that. Think of whatever you've been listening to this week. But uh, the thing is, is that we were talking about our Album of the Week, and I said that my Album of the Week was The End of All Things to Come from Mudvayne.
0: I love that record.
1: Which is so funny because back in 2004 – I would, oh, have, loved it. I would have punched you in the dick for even suggesting that I <laughs> listen to Mudvayne.
0: And I would have punched you in the dick and told you, fuck you, you need to listen to the song structures, the lyrics, you should, the you production, yes. everything. Yes. What everything I about said, that record is amazing.
1: What I said about that record was that, yes, it is a more poppy Mudvayne. It mm. is a little bit more media accessible Mudvayne. Okay, LD50 is an amazingly technical record, but you have to be a certain type of person to appreciate it. Me. Me. <laughs> okay, you have to be a certain type of person to I, appreciate I, it. I mean,
0: I love that record. I, uh, so, like, to, dig to me, good.
1: Dig. You already have to be a fan of heavy music to appreciate something like dig. I disagree. no, you do. You do. I totally no. disagree. Well, you guys can. I don't think you do. Basically, what I'm saying <laughs> is that like these are like dig was a the type of song, or even death blooms or songs like that. There were a little bit more like you had to you had to at least be into new metal.
0: But you're you're to like those the thing bands. is though is you're referencing the two singles like you're not even going deep tracks like where you're talking about no like, no because the average radio listener the average, radio listener, is, like that, the average
1: radio listener has only heard Dig and has only heard okay. Death Blooms okay. that's what I'm trying to say okay. okay yeah songs like Pharmacopia are fucking amazing you know don't get me wrong I I I love the deep cuts on LD fifty I love LD fifty the thing is though. What I said is that you have to be a certain kind of person to like something like Dig. You have to at least be a fan of new metal. You, you know, if you're if you're listening to something like Dig and liking it, you're probably a fan of Slipknot already. You're probably a fan of Korn. You're probably a fan of like those more down-tune new metal bands. I don't think I'm completely I don't think I'm completely wrong for saying that. No. Okay, cuz I remember no. when it came out. I remember the time period. Yes, yeah, my okay, way, I was the
3: alternative Slipknot if you remember. That's
1: fine. But that, what that I'm was saying how it was presented. But what I'm trying to say it's true. It's is true. that a song like "Not Falling."
0: Well, no, hold on. Now
1: you're like three
0: albums down.
1: No, at I'm not. This point. No, "Not Falling" came out directly after LD Fifty. No,
0: not Falling... I'm sorry, you are right. They came out on the <laughs> end of all things to come. Yes, but they they released that single twice, if you remember correctly.
1: Right, I get that. But what I'm saying is that like to listen to a song like "Not Falling." Doesn't necessarily require you to be a certain type of person. It doesn't. I think necessarily, it definitely needs you
0: to listen to a song like Death Blooms to understand the weird intricacies of that band and how they are right. poppy but not
1: right. But what I'm catching you in is that you say you have to appreciate the weird, the weird stuff, the weird uh, intricacies.
2: See the weird but stuff. But you
1: don't necessarily have to know that to get like into Death. To no, to get into Not Falling. Not Falling has a really catchy chorus. It has a really catchy, it's um, got really catchy verses. Overall melody. Overall melody. It is a little bit less technical, a little bit less heavy mud vein. And again, you guys are defending it like I'm saying that that's a bad thing because I'm not. No,
0: actually, I would actually almost say it's more technical in the fact that it has to appeal to a more wider array of audience.
1: It is. It is more technical. But what I'm saying is that, like, you don't have to know it's more technical. To enjoy that song over something like a dig. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And if you're the kind of person that doesn't like screaming vocals, because that is still, I hate to say it, the deciding factor between a lot of people and heavy music. A lot of people want to like heavy bands, but they don't appreciate the growled, animalistic vocal that's associated with it. Yeah, that's why a song like Not Falling is infinitely more appealing than a dig. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Like, universally unappealing. Yes. For the four of us, it's not a big deal. We listen to heavy shit all the time. It but makes I didn't, sense. But I didn't back then. Right, if you didn't back then. So what I was trying to say is that that record is a better record to me because of its universal appeal. To get back to my original point, I liked it because it was more listenable,
3: more immediately listenable for the average person than LD50 would have been. You're absolutely correct, and it's for one very mainstream reason. Which is? mainstream audiences will always gravitate to melodic sung vocals, which LD50 has, but not out in front in a verse-chorus-verse structure. Okay,
0: so, so, sorry to cut you... Collectively, everyone off something you've actually talked about on this podcast on the Haste of Day episode, and something we can re- bring back to Asley dying that has never happened is the fact that there's never been the album version of something with like Haste of Day with like when everything falls, where there was the Jimmy Ryan normal vocals, where it wasn't like the raspy ass Zayo vocals which you got uh, on the album,
3: but not the music yeah.
0: video. No, 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 you got the on the music video, not on the album version. You were right, but on the wrong. Flippy flip flop. it. You flipped it. Um, Asleep, dying never did that thing where you would have a video that would have semi-clean vocals with over, like very much like a haste today. day. I mean, killswitch. Look at the end of heartache when they released the Resident Evil version of the song. It had all clean vocals. The bridge was not even in the song. Asley Dying has never done that. They've been very unapologetically disgustingly heavy even if maybe at the cost of gaining fans because of not having a song like the darkest nights be so bringing it back to shadows of, shadows of security not necessarily having it all be clean like clean song bridges or choruses or whatever the band was unapologetically heavy confined is a disgustingly heavy song and for that to be the first single off of the album followed by darkest nights followed by reflections it's like the trend of that record is, fuck you, we are a disgustingly heavy metal band with no clean singing. What little bit of clean singing you may find in this band is not how the rest of the album may be. That might be the answer to my previous
3: question. Why did Haste the Day have to change the vocals for their music video? Okay. And Nobody likes like vocals. But a band like Under Oath didn't have to do that. And the answer is, somebody literally had to look at it and say, well, this is our audience... And we want to get the other 7 million people. So we're going to do this for the video. Whereas Under Oath was, well, this is our audience. We've already got all the teenage
0: girls and most of the hardcore guys. My thing is this. I love, I love, I love, I love, I love Jim and Ryan. Actually, him and I have been trying to do a podcast for the longest fucking time because I love a lot of what Jimmy Ryan's done between Haste Today the Day and Trenches, which if you're not familiar with Trenches, go back and listen to that fucking record. The it tide is will swallow
1: us fucking whole. Oh
0: my God. And there's another one apparently coming coming soon, and it's, I hope it's it fucking amazing. does.
1: It's amazing. It's a great record. But here's,
0: here's my thing. When Stephen Keach got into the band, pressed to the hinges when it fucking happened, my God, did that band turn a corner and was able to reach... So many more people because of what Stephen Keach was able to do vocally that Jimmy Ryan could not, and I'm so, and I know Brandon, the guitar player, was able to do clean vocals for Haste Today, Day, and he did on the first two records. And there was gang vocals, and there was a Google Dolls cover, and all that shit. But honestly, if you don't listen to Presser the Hinges, very much like listening to. Asley Dying's uh, shadows of security, and be able to see the corner that the turn the band has turned to be able to be like, holy fuck, this band has like turned the fucking corner. This is what the band can and should be. Fuck, I don't know if we can be friends and talk about these these bands and these records in this genre because Hasted Days, Pressure the Hinges, took that band to another level that just is astronomically. Imp- It is exactly why. That record is exactly why the band was able to go further in their career than they ever would have gone if they kept jimmy in the band and i'm sorry because i mean like coward or i'm sorry yeah coward has a great record but i think a lot of it is due to the fact that the duality of having jimmy and steven as co-vocalists and having the band that ended up doing return of the wolf king which i'm sorry is probably one of the best full-on haste the day records on record because of how dynamic it is and it became and I went and saw the band at the last quote unquote, the last show with Jimmy, with everybody involved. And then I went and saw the burning bridges, which Daniel, I'm still going to send you that burning bridges sign poster from all the original members. Please do. Uh, I, I will. Um, for another, for a link to another episode of it to be named later on. Uh, it's like <laughs> draft picks. Um, but uh, no, like for real though, like having been able to see that band and, and it be a band that's so, so important to me. In my metal core history, with like I mean, Still Remains is from here in Grand Rapids. Like TJ Miller is someone that I know personally. Like, I'm not name dropping just a bullshit. Like, it's something that is very relevant to what became my my introduction to this scene. And it's like Still Remains and Haste the Day were big in my Christian metal upbringing, even though I was not a Christian and I'm still not. But it's one of those things that i feel like if you can't understand what pressure the hinges did for haste the day because of the vocalist change to comparison to what Asleep Dying did because they were a contemporary and appear to Haste day and still remains and all those guys. If you can't see what Shadows of Security did for tho- that band, production-wise, songwriting-wise, everything. Like I really don't think you understand how big and such a landmark this fucking record really was. Like Phil, <laughs> Nick, Jordan, Tim, like. Holy fuck, they just took this band to the next fucking level. And you know what? I'm really ready to talk about Oceans Between Us, an ocean between us, because holy fuck, this is probably my favorite fucking As Die Dying record.
1: Before we do that, I want to go back to what my original point was. Go ahead,
0: please. My
1: original point was that there was a huge difference between me in 2004, 2005. Okay. And me in 2018. The reason I brought the Mudvayne record up was in was an example of that, okay. saying that back when the end of all things to come came out, I wasn't into it because it was too poppy and it was not a heavy Mudvayne like the first record was, and all that shit. And it's all it's all bullshit. It's the kind of stuff that fanboys say, people that don't know, know a whole lot about music will say, because you see the you see the really kind of. Um, Oh uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Jeff? It's uh aesthetics. You see the really basic aesthetics where you're like, okay, they sing more on this record and they don't scream as much, so it, I don't like it as much. You know, and so that that's where I probably was back when that record came out. Okay, and like when we're talking about haste of day, I was not into pressure of the hinges when it came out. But like when we did our Haste the Day episode, did I say anything negative about
0: pressure the hinges no but you also were pretty quiet about that record well, which i think speak like it, it's very much dude, like Eye of how the needle i would fucking breakdowns i've ever heard i was to say it's very much how i feel like sometimes like you know like when you listen to the production side of things and sometimes it's not what's being played it's not what's happening it's not what you're hearing is the most loudest when I listened back to the "Haste the Day" thing, and you didn't comment to me the site it's to quote a "Haste the Day" lyric: uh, "Silence is uh, louder." Well, no, it, it might I have mean, been that
2: he was too busy drinking beer. Though I excuse. might have been taking
1: a piss or drinking
0: a beer <laughs> okay. or something like that.
2: No, the thing is, that the
1: thing is, is that I love the Stephen Keech "Haste the Day." I don't She's think so good. I, I don't oh think I, mean, yes. I, don't think yes, I made did. any bones about that. Like throughout, the thing is, is that. In 2018, I appreciate stuff that's a little bit more listenable and a little bit more like... It, whereas, you have to understand, back in 2003-2004, I was heavily cemented in the Christian hardcore scene. Okay, so that meant that I'm going to not check out a band that's super poppy. It's like I remember at the time it was very much like and I wouldn't have said these words because I was in the Christian hardcore scene, but it was like fuck as it lay dying, I'm going to go listen to all these other bands that are more underground and not as not as popular. However, whenever I went back and listened to Shadows of Security this time, I was like holy shit. And that's the, that's the point Go I was ahead, originally sorry. trying to make Because I feel like, John, you're arguing with me in 2003, 2004 And I'm arguing with you now And you're <laughs> arguing with me now But the thing is, is that now I'm not necessarily in disagreement with you about Chad's Security But I am trying to provide a context Or a point for how people may have felt back when that record first came out Because we've lopped praise on it Obviously, obviously it was a huge record for the band it had all it had all the right ingredients it was sonically superior in almost every way than frail words collapse was okay so i'm not i'm not denying any of that and i'm not i'm not even backtracking like that's legitimately how i felt whenever i listened to the record because you remember when i was on my way down here what the fuck record did I take a picture of? that I was listening this to on one, the way down. This here. One. Shadows so, of Security.
0: So can I ask you this? Can I ask you this though? Like, so I mean, something I'm going to get into as we go further. And, I, and again, I'm really sorry you're going to have to edit all this into your normal time frame of a podcast. But that's all right. He'll
1: make me sound so, good, make you sound bad. It will be perfect.
0: Uh, it'll <laughs> probably make me sound terrible. <laughs> um, but I mean, Shadows of Security. I think uh, from Fredwards Collapse to Shadows of Security, Shadows words Collapse debuted at like. Uh, I don't even think it debuted in the top 200 on billboard shadows of security debuted at 35 on the billboard top 200. So, I mean, I think that speaks to the volume of like how big the band had gotten from Frail words to shadows of security. But beyond that, something I want to know, because I mean, you're talking about your knowledge of the Christian underco- underground metal core scene, because that's where really it kind of was coming from. Honestly, so, something I kind of wonder is you looking at it from when it came out to now in 2018, are you able to kind of look back and be like, fuck, I. I- i kind of was an asshole and i i didn't realize how great this record was oh yeah or were you able to be like this record's great but however in my 2000 i think this came out in 2005 (laughs) in 2005 like me was like this is why i don't like it are you able to look back at those same differences as to why you said you didn't like this record maybe when it came out initially are you able to kind of reconcile like God, I was just, I was well, so wrapped up this There's not a lot of reconciliation.
1: There's not a lot of reconciliation because what it is is that like, you know, I used I always joke with Joe and Jeff about how like 2005 me would have beaten 2018 me's ass.
0: Why? You know what I mean, like, the, because
1: because back then I was only into heavy shit metal elitist i was i was i was totally that i even did like a christian metalcore magazine not a metalcore shit uh i did a i did i did a christian metal magazine back in 2005 that ran until about 2006 until i started my own band and like i ran that magazine and i remember like it was we were not allowed to talk about metalcore on that we even we even had a podcast Again, you're asking, like, somebody that wasn't very mature. <laughs> you know, it was basically just, you know, again, it's, it's one of those, like, you're asking me how I felt, you know, basically as a teen, you know, versus how I feel now. I've, I've loosened up a lot over the years um, in the sense of, like, musical appreciation, especially, um, and even, like, from the spiritual side of it, which I know Joe hates it when we go into this territory. But uh, back then I was very much the conservative Christian You know, like, like 2000 and I I would say from like 2000 until 2005 was like kind of my heyday as far as being like conservative Christian, not that much fun to talk to, you know, like, it, it was very much like a, I'm right, you're wrong. If you don't agree with what I agree with, then you're a piece of shit. And it's one of those really tough situations where you know because like, I mean you can if you look hard enough you can find our old shit online you know?
0: well do do you feel like doing this discography discussion has allowed you to go back and reconcile some of your mis- misconceptions about albums and absolutely. who you were that's the whole
1: purpose of this absolutely that this has okay. always been since the beginning has been a kind of a way for me to and like we never thought we'd be talking to people or anything like that but like we have gotten yeah, there, people. yeah. Fucking people, <laughs> fucking other podcasters, you fucking shit. people. <laughs> God, all these but, assholes
3: named John. Seriously, but like, I mean, you're, they have ages I don't. So
0: you're asking you're me. You're me.
1: asking me to reconcile feelings I had back in a time where if somebody said, what's fuck this?" What's this? If the somebody said, that "I had," yeah. If somebody said, "Fuck," in an interview, I would be like, "This oh, is you not." Should a, have
0: been on that. It, this it's, is it's, not a
1: Christian band. You know, like that was the kind of person I was back then. And so there were a lot of things that I did that didn't, like, looking back on it, didn't make sense. Or, and so, like, having feelings about bands, like, it was literally probably something as stupid as they have a lot of courses. I don't give a shit.
0: A uh, question I have for both of you, uh, all of you, because I don't think you've talked about this even in doing some of the Christian hardcore bands that you've done. So, something that was big around here, and since you guys are somewhat near me here in the Midwest, did you guys have, like, the courage crew at some of your shows, at the Christian hardcore shows? The Courage Crew, Courage Crew. They were. Uh, I Christian... think I know what you're talking
3: about, but they weren't called that down here. What were, they, didn't what were they called? didn't show up at any down... of our shows. I mean, what there, mean
0: there they were groups down there? of
1: people that would show up,
3: but I don't remember what they were
1: called.
0: Okay. They were the Spirit
1: so the... Squad. No, <laughs> the
2: Spirit yeah, actually Squad. Actually, I think that nights. is
0: one of them. No, uh, uh, I meant Sam's that as Dolph Ziggler.
2: A... Yeah, I, right. say, I meant it as a <laughs> as a wrestling inside
0: joke. Yeah, no. you know the wrestling's no, not going to sure. be on the
3: podcast, yeah. right, Jeff?
0: Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> but no, okay. so like it, here, here in the, in the Michigan area, we had, like when I would go see, like around the time of Sh- shadows, of security where I had my hoodie that I, I wore first thing. um, there was such thing as like a christian hardcore group called like the courage crew and it was like they were straight edge they didn't drink they didn't smoke they didn't whatever they went to all these like bands of that ilk and basically if they found you like smoking when you could still smoke during shows in the venue uh they would beat collect, the shit out like, of you yeah no exactly no i, I know what you're the talking glory days. about that they, they <laughs> i don't know what they were called
2: down here but there was uh a fr- i was telling you about my uh my straight edge friend down here, he, he talked about these guys, and I can't remember their fucking name to save
3: my life. They were just the, either the straight edge scene kids or the Christian
0: scene kids down here. That was such a that was uh, and for me, I can't speak on behalf of all the all of you three. Was that a big part of going to see live shows for all of you? Like the fact that those people would come out?
1: To be honest, I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. I remember youth groups would come out. Like I remember. I remember going to see Zayo back in, like, 2002 or 2003. And they were – and I remember a bus showed up, like a church bus showed up. And, like, all these kids came out wearing Zayo shirts and Living Sacrifice shirts. And I remember thinking, like, well, Zayo's not even a Christian band anymore. You know, like, they haven't been for a long time. But, like, these people still showed up because, like, back then it was still a little bit murky as far as like because i remember zale put out the funeral god cd in 2004 which kind of had spiritual overtones to it and like that i remember like everybody was still really on board until they put out the fear and it was like uh everybody's like oh when they put out the fear they were like oh this is not a christian band it's like yeah i've been telling you guys that for years but like it was one of those uh things where it wasn't like a big deal like we didn't necessarily have a dedicated group that would come out and and support these bands or, or whatever But, I mean, I definitely think that the Christian side of it was always really, like, kind of a stretch, so to speak. It was like, we want to take these bands that exist that we really have nothing to do with like we don't know the people in the band personally. And we want to take ownership we of We want them. to take ownership of it. We totally. wanna we, we, totally. we wanna take what they're saying doctrinally and like make it what we're about now. And again, that's another huge contradiction between me back then versus me now. Now I'm like, you know, I can say that freely. Like they're trying to make something that isn't about them about them. And, like, that was very much the case of those Azalea Dying, which we're going to get into. That was
3: the mid-2000s. Yes.
1: Like, it was really <laughs> just one of those things where they were they were torchbearers. So people that were Christians were like, yeah, these guys are great, especially whenever we get to the next record in Ocean Between Us, which, again, Azalea Dying was super Christian on, like, their first three or four records. Three.
0: You three. Know. The fourth I'll definitely talk about. The change lyrically for me. That's interesting
1: because I'm going to talk about a song called "Upside Down Kingdom" with you. Yes. On that yep. one, and uh, you know we'll definitely get into that. But like, All right. I think that I think that the band, you know, definitely they were the torchbearers of Christian metalcore at the time, regardless of how anybody else feels. And not to sound like Jesse Smith from Zayo, but I don't care what fucking scene kid is listening to this podcast right now. If you were if you were in the Christian metalcore scene or the metalcore scene at large at that time. There's no denying that Asleep Dying was absolutely the biggest band there, because I have noticed that since the big horrible thing that we're talk- going to talk about later happened, there's been a lot of revisionist history about metalcore and about you know like who started it and who was responsible. Everybody's kind of trying to cut Asleep Dying out of the game because of what happened, and I think that that is uh, absolute
3: pissing in the face of what actually took place this is a question for jeff yeah is this the time when it stopped being christian metalcore and just started being metalcore no i I, not necessarily
2: i i I do want to go back to one thing real quick uh we were talking about like why they were so popular and dan kind of gave his answer i never really uh got to interject sorry no it's okay uh I think one thing that people don't realize, and I think it's also why it was important, we talked about the Gothenburg sound on those bands, and it's the the groundswell of local acceptance uh, in SoCal and in Phoenix, where As I Lay Dying really put down their roots. Metal and harder music is more was more is is more popular. There's more radio stations in that area, especially compared to like here, I guess because we're in St. You know, St. Louis. There's nothing, but. It was easier uh, to get on the radio uh, in those areas. It was better it was easier to be sus- supported because there was more like minds. There was more people listening to that, you know, listening to heavier music in so- in, the, in the in the southwest US. And uh, I think that is actually helps uh, help them become who they were. Uh, it, I'm not saying it's the only thing. I'm just saying it helped. It, you know, I, I think if As I Lie Dying came from Wichita, Kansas, uh, they would be nowhere near as big as what they ended up becoming because of where, where they were at and, and who was able to support them. Just like how you talk about, you know, with Grand Rapids, there's like this, you know, there's, this, there's a group there that's supporting them. You go up to New England, there's a group there supporting them. You go down to Florida, there's a group there supporting them. So I think where your roots are and where you're coming up from, there's certain parts of the US just like how there's certain parts of like like if you go to Japan, metal's big in Japan. You go to Brazil, metal's big in Brazil. I mean like it depends on where you're at, depends on how big you can become uh, if you're in the right place at the right time and I think they absolutely were. Big in Japan, see what you did there? Yes, I did.
3: <laughs> Thank you, sir.
2: So I just wanted to throw that in there real quick cuz I think that because of you know where they were, I think actually helped them tremendously.
0: What's interesting to me about what you're just saying is the fact that I feel like as dying really separated themselves from the the West Coast metalcore scene because you had bands like Bleeding Through who were in, incorporating the the strings and orchestral type things with Mardo on on keys and so forth, and really the only band that I felt like was kind of including more of that Gothenburg kind of European sound, honestly would have been at the time. And I'm totally blanking on their name. <laughs> um, would have been like Chimera. Chimera was like one of the few bands that was kind of incorporating everything that was swirling into what was becoming the sound that was happening. And I mean, we're talking about two bands between Bleeding Through and Chimera, who I, still feel like never really got there just due who are actually now i mean bleeding through just put out a new song like days ago and the internet's going fucking rabbit over it. and it's like that band's been around for like a long time where the fuck were all of you when that band was like putting out like seminal albums like the truth uh shit love or uh love lost in a Gale- love lost in a hail of gunfire. Which, whatever, what was that record off of? Uh, this Is Love, This Is Murderous. That was the record. But I mean, like, there were so many bands putting out records that were, like, incorporating that in flames, dark tranquility, at-the-gate sound that, like, didn't get there just to, who are now just putting out records where people were like, this band's legit. I love this band. Where the fuck have they been all of my life? And I'm like, they were around 20 years ago when you weren't fucking born. Like... Do, do do you do you guys find this like? Do you guys yeah. do you guys as as thirty something, forty something year old people? Do you guys just like when you hear people talk about like what's new and what's relevant? Do you just like do what I'm doing right now, where you're like rubbing your forehead, going like, ah, oh, where the fuck were you in like 2003, 2004, where like so many bands were like putting their stamp on the sound that you're saying is your sound now? The like, answer to that question I'm, is
3: they were listening to As I Lay Dying and Killswitch Engage. Because that's what was popular, right?
0: But I don't feel like, honestly, honestly, I, I I wonder that because I mean, like, when I talk to people, when I go to kill switch Engage shows, and like, I'm like, do you remember when As a Library Just Breathing came out? And they're like, no. And I'm like, do you remember? I do. You remember? And I'm like, do you remember when, you know, End of Heartache came out? And they're like, I wasn't born. And I'm like, fuck, fuck, fuck and then like i talked to these people and they're like well i got into attack attack and then i got into you know like disarm the scent by to kill switch engage and i'm like i mean i'm glad you got to kill switch engage and i'm glad you like maybe are going back and seeing where like the scene came from but like do you guys like get like this the elderly statesman of the scene do you do you get that same like kind of headache that i get sometimes going to shows where you're like Man, there's like, was I really at the forefront of this like new thing that's still popular 20 years later? Yes, you were. And like, that's that's the whole
1: part of it is that like, and especially in the case of a band like Azalea Dying, okay? Okay. Most of the people, I wouldn't say most, but probably 60% <laughs> of the people that listen to Azalea Dying were listening to them because they were a religious bass band. Do you really think that? I do. Especially at that time, I think there was a I can, lot. Can,
0: can I make the poll? Out of out of, the, out of the four of us, who was religious upon hearing Esley dying when they first heard them? I was not. I was not. Even though I, the first time I heard it
2: was
1: at a, a Baptist university, it's just because my <laughs> that my friend was religious. But that's the point I'm trying to make: is that the people that promoted them the most early on were christians yeah outside well, of- people that wanted and they they may not have even mentioned that the band was a a, a religious based band at the time because they wanted you to just listen to it and they wanted you to hear god's message or whatever but like it was one of those like situations where i feel like there was a huge push i mean like, like you were saying john there were people showing up at shows where their entire purpose was to where their entire purpose was to uh was to spread that message, right? Even if the band wasn't necessarily associated with that message directly, they, right. they, they they were they were trying to bridge the gap. So I think that a lot of it had to do with the fact that like it's kind of like when Lincoln Park's uh, Hybrid Theory came out, you know, it, it's very a very similar type of situation where Lay Dying was this ball-busting heavy metal band that, that that was playing like a cutting-edge style, but all their shit was squeaky clean. Okay, okay. Okay. Like, unlike a lot of, unlike a lot of metalcore bands at the time, or even like emo core bands, or, or whatever you had at that time. Okay. Like, they weren't putting out records like "Too Bad You're Beautiful." Okay. They weren't putting out records about like killing a girl and burying her in your basement. You know, they weren't. Right. They weren't saying "fuck" every ten <laughs> seconds. You know, Not they like weren't. New under oath. Exactly. They. So they. They weren't saying "fuck" every ten seconds. They weren't. Um, they weren't talking about murder. They weren't talking about doing drugs. They weren't talking about alcoholism. They weren't talking about all of, the, all of these things that are very real that we actually will experience at some point in our lives. Okay, they right. weren't talking about any of that. So in a, lot of the way, in a lot of the ways, and this is, oh God, I hope this doesn't show up on Blabbermouth or something. But like, um, I feel like a lot of Christian metal, a lot of Christian hardcore and stuff kind of lives in a fantasy world. Where all this shit doesn't exist, the drug addiction doesn't exist, the heartbreak doesn't exist, the the the, the real life that, that that we live as human beings doesn't actually exist in that world. So it's this whole it's this whole idea of like pushing this message, pushing this idea, pushing this worldview, and I think Asley Dying was absolutely part of that in, in the beginning, and I think that, you know, I I feel like a lot of the people, and part of the reason for the popularity was that like I get to listen to this. Super heavy band, but it's safe. Like I don't have to listen. I like th- they're not saying anything that's like necessarily like really challenging me. They're not saying anything that like I feel like I can relate to, you know. So like you look at a lot of these bands that were out at the same time had much darker subject matter and and, and much you know. Whereas like I didn't even even to bring haste the day back into it, I think I said that haste the day is kind of like vanilla ice cream, in the sense that they are um, they're totally digestible. And it's enjoyable, yeah. and it's it's fun, and I think Asley Dying was kind of the same way, especially on these first three records, because again, Christians could get behind it, people that weren't Christians could get behind it. It was like it was like the perfect cocktail that everybody could enjoy, and I think that's part of the reason for the popularity of the band. Because I used to ask the same questions you're asking now, John. Like, how did a band this get this heavy get popular?
0: I think it's just the fact. I mean. Are we ready to go to Shadows, Shadows of Security? Because, like, I feel like that, that oh, is really went to the. we already that. All right. Ocean, well, Ocean Between to... Us. I'm sorry. Ocean, yeah, Ocean <laughs> Between Us. So Ocean Between Us, honestly. Um, and so, I mean, I'm kind of one of those, like, nostalgic, where does everything land, let's look at the progression of everything kind of go. So Shadows of Security debuted at number 35 on the Top 200 Billboard. Motion Between Us do- debuted at number eight. Eight, yep. I mean, that kind of just speaks to what metalcore was and where Lamb, or I'm sorry, Lamb of God, uh, <laughs> <laughs> where as, where as a different like episode. Dying-
2: you were thinking yeah. Lambesis and then turned into Lamb of God. That's what happened. <laughs> well,
0: I mean, they, they toured with uh, with Lamb of God quite a bit over the last uh, the last two records because uh, they did The Sounds of the Underground. They did a lot of uh, Taste of Chaos. They did a lot of very interesting tours that I don't feel like a lot of bands of their... their their ilk uh did and i don't know if that's just because of the band being very self-conscious and being like oh we need to get on these like younger and younger tours like a taste of chaos like the warp tour i remember seeing this band on warp tour on this record cycle and when they played detroit it was a big deal because it was the last date of them being on warp tour and they were the headlining band over all of Warp Tour. And hearing songs off of an ocean between us, I was like, holy shit, this band is fucking. No one. Yeah, of course they're headlining Warp Tour because they fucking deserve it. And that's in, in lieu of seeing. I saw Norma Jean on that. Like, they were the second band to, excuse me, open that tour. And they were on the. Re- I think they were on Redeemer? And I gotta say, they were terrible, and Gym Class Heroes put them to shame and had a better pit early in the morning.
1: Are we gonna stop being friends about Norma Jean?
2: Oh, He says the live show, doesn't mean that that's...
1: (laughs) No, I've definitely seen some terrible Norma
2: Jean shows. Here's the thing,
0: I'm actually gonna talk to Ryan uh, now from XE to uh, now Norma Jean uh, in the next couple of weeks, so maybe I should talk to you about Norma Jean shit. Maybe I should
1: should co-host that episode. Yeah, I will
2: say
0: this, I think...
2: Uh, An Ocean Between Us is the peak of commercialized metalcore. You disagree? Uh,
0: no, 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 no. I, I I agree, but I sort of disagree. So, I'll say my piece on An Ocean Between Us, and, and I'll let you you collectively all get to it because I'm interested to see what the rest of you all all feel about this. So, very much in the sense that like how i described like me getting into this band going to hot topic and seeing their cd and the album getting you know really being very interesting to me from an album cover i didn't know jacob bannon i wasn't in converge i didn't understand how great he was as a a, as a multi uh, what's the fucking word i'm looking for uh Visual artist of sorts uh, between his own band and everything he has done since, and even into Shadows of Security. I didn't know Jacob Bannon did that record album artwork as well. Um, but an ocean between us obviously, I'm huge into Kill Switch by the time this record comes out. Adam D can do no fucking wrong uh, as far as production everything he does um, and at this point colin richardson uh coming back and doing the second record uh with adam d or i'm sorry with uh you know, mastering, mixing, and so forth. But I mean, Adam D at this point is at the pinnacle of like that that metalcore sound between Killswitch, between Underworld, between doing an Unearth album, between doing everything that Adam D has done up until this point, production wise. Like he has proven that he is the the quintessential. Like if you're looking for that sound, scooped mids on your guitars, just crushing drums everything about the production adam d is everything you were looking for and then some and the sad thing is is adam d only got better from here on out but as far as this band this record is concerned an ocean between us i remember working at logan's uh roadhouse uh the fucking steakhouse and i was working a double and the day this record came out i was chomping at the bit to get done with my first shift so I could walk across the street to go to Target to buy this fucking record listen to it on my Sony Discman that I brought with me so I could listen to the new record in my like hour and a half or to 2 hours of like not working and that's exactly what I did and I feel like that's something that's lost on a lot of people nowadays of like being so enamored with a band and their new record that you're like actively seeking out going to get the new music like today my wife and i were driving around doing different shit you know for our weekend and so forth and i listened to the new cardi b i listened to the new like we listened to like all the new shit that came out on itunes and i i was thinking in leading up to our discussion about this this album and and, and the records that have come out from as Late dying just thinking about how like. I I knew where I was going to be the day a record came out and how far away from a record store I was going to be or somewhere where I could buy the record so I can go literally buy the physical media of the thing. And I don't think... Obviously, people don't have that invested interest in, in music nowadays. But I remember when I bought this record, I was like, wow, this band with Adam D took the next fucking level like they are heads and shoulders above and beyond anything anyone is doing in this scene and like i don't know if any of you agree with that but like or can remember where you were when you first heard this record but fuck this record was like And still to this day, like, I I honestly got to say, like, if I'm going back and listen to Asley Dying, this is the record I'm going back and listening to and being like, this is a full record. This is a band fully realizing how to write a full album, parts leading into one another. Taking what they've done from Freer Words Collapse into Shadows of Security and just fill in and everyone like executing on all levels. Like, this is the band basically being like, we are the it band
3: of this genre. You're 100% correct because this is the album I hear every time I listen to Insert Name of otherwise seemingly generic metalcore band because this is the album everybody ripped off.
0: Totally. Totally.
2: And I think that's why I view it as the peak. Is because
0: this is the peak to you.
2: Yeah, it, it really is. Cause I, everything after this is kind of a repeat of itself. Yeah, it really. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, totally. it is. I mean, that like you said, you know, a- Adam D from uh, Killswitch. yeah, kill yeah, kill switch, uh, and the guys from As It Lay Dying. They essentially they found all the formulas and perfected it, and this is what we got. I mean, it, it's this is perfect radio play material for Metalcore. I mean, th- this is, in my opinion, this is as good as it gets for people who are going to be. If you want to be entered, I think this is the perfect album to be introduced to, to metal if you've never listened to metal before, and you metal want or it,
0: Metalcore, it,
2: metal that isn't power metal. Okay. So, it could, and I, the reason why, or, or symphonic
3: metal, I exclude those because that's exclusively that's clean. A damn good point, sir. What? That is a really good point. The difference between metal and power, power metal. metal. Yep. Yeah, that's a damn good point. Yeah, so that's a good point.
2: A, if you exclude those, I think this is like the uh, the perfect intro course in, into metal. Now hold on. That's Go just, on. but that's just me, I, and I think it's because it's it's got the poppy sensibilities. You got the choruses, you got the mel- you know melody, you got the clean singing, but you also got all of that meatiness of what we enjoy about metal. There, I I think it's 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 the perfect blend for the casual listener to be introduced. And and in my opinion, that's why this album is the is the peak. Because this is what everybody else afterwards
3: strived to be. Jeff, did you just prove that "As I Lay Dying" killed the '80s once and for all? Yeah. <laughs> Dan, Insert Dan, Final
2: really Fantasy victory music right here. <laughs> all right, cue that one.
0: <laughs> Dan's looking at CDs, looking distraught. I got to oh, know yeah. things of this record. He
2: he definitely is. A, I'm sure is of a different a different opinion than I.
1: I'm not. Really? I'm really not. Wow.
2: I'm, Are we I'm, all in
0: agreement on a record? So this Holy was, shit! I remember this when I weird. first
1: heard "An Ocean Between Us." What? what take us through your in, first experience listening to this record. Okay, so I was prepping up for um, my band, End of Destiny. I was prepping up for our what ended up being our final show, which was at Cornerstone Festival.
0: Okay, time out. Just for a second. Did How big was, I mean, because I know you've obviously talked about uh, Christian metal bands. How big is Cornerstone been for the bands that you've talked about? Because I don't think I've really seen you talk about any of those the Cornerstone Festival as a whole, really. Huge. So For you personally or for everybody? For everybody. For this scene. Okay, no, so no totally. Cornerstone, I totally agree.
1: I always tell this story. We went and saw a punk band called uh, Blaster the Rocket Man. Okay. At Cornerstone Festival one year, and he was joking about how like just a few years ago, all the bands sounded like corn. Yep, you know, at Cornerstone Festival because that's what Christian Christian music typically did. Is it? It was like maybe three, four years behind whatever the trend was in popular music, except in the case of metalcore. In metalcore, for some strange reason, Christian music was at the bleeding edge of it. So he was like, and now whenever I go, he's like, when I used to walk past tents, I would just hear, you know, drop D guitars and, you know, all this stuff. He's like, but now whenever I walk past the tent, all I hear is <laughs> coming from, you know, like hissing coming from every tent. Right. I remember, okay, so in 2004, it was right before Zayo had dropped their Funeral God record. I remember Scott from Zayo telling everybody that as soon as they were done playing that they needed to run to another stage and go see Azalea dying. And he said that they were the most popular band out now. So I didn't, but uh it was one of <laughs> cuz I actually I got I got really hurt during that Zayo show and like I I didn't fracture two ribs, but <laughs> goddamn if it didn't feel like it. And I got hurt pretty bad during that one and uh, ended up having to go home. We went home that night. And because uh, we live about, I guess, about four hours away from Bushnell in St. Louis. So we, we drove home overnight. And so I remember that being a huge deal. I remember seeing Asley Dying play the main stage at Cornerstone Festival. That was right after Shadows of Security came out, and I watched the whole show. And they just killed it. I mean, they were just... Obviously, like... And they, there were good bands before them. I think As Cities Burn started off the show. And then it was followed by um, Norma Jean. And this was, like, right when Redeemer came out. And then after that was A Dying. And, like, Lay Dying, I mean, just wiped the floor with Norma Jean, which is something that I didn't think was popular. And I remember Under Oath played after Azaleigh Dying. And I think... I remember, I remember I actually went and saw some black metal band play instead of Under Oath because I was still kind of an asshole at that time. And I was even like wanting to leave when Asley really Dying came on because I couldn't appreciate it. I was just in this weird mindset. And so we played Cornerstone Festival, um, not on the main stage. <laughs> and, uh, we, we played, we played actually sandwiched between two black metal bands, which is kind of ironic Generator stage. because our band, our band definitely sounded more like under oath than like black metal, but uh, okay. I didn't see it that way at the time, but you know, <laughs> we did, we had the keyboards and all that, but like it was, uh, to go back to that record, I listened to that record a few times cause I went to cornerstone that festival. It's kind of weird because in 2007, might sound like a familiar story i got hurt because i was supposed to be at cornerstone the entire time until our band played and i got hurt went home for two days and then got together with the band and then drove up (laughs) and played the show (laughs) it's so funny too because that that video is still on youtube somewhere you can see us towards the end of our set i'm like holding my side really bad and like Not like being that animated because I was hurting really bad. That's right. He wasn't being a scene kid. Yeah. He was actually trying to hold it together. I also wasn't fat then. I mean, I was, I thought I was fat, but compared to now. You
0: were, you were fat by a scene kid. That was like
1: 170 pounds ago, man. But, uh. This is before fat was the new skinny. Right. So I remember I listened to this record. I listened to this record and I thought, because in, so in 2007 i was done with christian music
0: why 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 were you
1: because it was fucking terrible the metalcore bands were cool but like i said i was getting i was drifting further and further away from metalcore and so i started getting into like underground christian death metal bands which goes from being pretty decent to not so good and i was checking out stuff like i was like really into bands like mortification and stuff like that which were like fucking terrible especially in 2005 2006 and that was in the heyday of when i was doing my magazine and i remember hearing a record by a band called mortification the record erasing the goblin and it was like really fucking terrible and i was like i'm done like that's the record that broke me from just listening to christian music because i think before that i kind of knew about other bands but I didn't really check them out because they weren't Christian or whatever so whenever so whenever I started my own band I kind of went off and was like fuck you guys I'm going to go listen to Converge I'm going to go listen to Bleeding Through and you know I'm going to go listen to Coalesce you know like bands like that and so I got kind of a different foundation for metalcore than what I had had prior because before that it was just it was all Zeo all Living Sacrifice all Christian bands all clean Clean-cut, perfect stuff for your mom or whatever, and I think it was that was just part of growing up as being like, I like this kind of music. Why am I not giving all these other great bands a chance? You know, when it, when I've just been basically sidelining them and saying, yeah, they're okay, but they're not great. You know, so I was out of Christian music at this time, but I did still pick up Shadows of Security, Fuck, an Ocean Between Us, and uh, <laughs> you know, I remember thinking that was. I remember the very first thought I had and I was listening to nothing left. The first thought I had was unstoppable. Like this band is unstoppable. Like they cannot, they can't do it wrong. They never, even, even, even all the way through awaken, they they didn't really have a bad record. You know, they didn't have one that you were like, this is the obvious misstep in their career, you know, like, and so for an ocean between us, yeah, I heard a little bit of the Gothenburg, but it was less so than what I had on Shattered Security. Shattered Security was unabashedly a, a product of its time. Whereas, I mean, you had a lot of different, like, there's a song on An Ocean Between Us called Within Destruction that's like very Slayer. Oh, yeah. You know, which was yep. really out of left field for me. And I remember thinking, okay, these guys are back to doing stuff that's like really interesting. And that was whenever my appreciation for appreciation for the band actually grew more so than it had been back in the Christian metal days because I was like, these guys can't do any wrong.
0: Everything they put out is solid fucking gold. Did anyone else pick up on on a notion between us? The fact that it felt like more of a full record as far as songs segueing into one another, just thinking about a record as as such Not just as individual songs Parts, everything Did everyone kind of Can we all agree that like An Ocean Between Us Really was like the first Full sonically Full record that the band had done Start to finish with a concept
1: Sequencing Yeah, Was really important on this record Yeah They really thought about what, what order to put these songs in
0: I mean you kind of saw that a little bit On an ocean between or, uh, shadows of security, like a little bit, but like I think this is really the first record where you see the band really looking at a record as a full record. I don't know if anyone else looked saw that or looked back on that, as, uh, listening to this leading up to this discussion. But you, you definitely no, did because yeah. this was
3: the end of albums and the beginning of that's a good point. Singles good point. culture coming back.
2: Yeah, I mean cause that's really because that's when you know Pandora, iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff really started hitting. No, this, this is this, right th- when yeah. iTunes
3: appeared. Yeah, yes, this you're this totally is right. um yeah.
2: this is so easy to listen to cover to cover. Yes, and I'm a yeah. You can ask these guys here. I'm a I'm a huge proponent of that. Like that that's a very very important thing for me on whether. whether I rate an album as good or great or bad or or whatever and I think that's one of the things that makes this album fan-fucking-tastic is that it's so easy to put on, hit play and just listen and just listen to the whole fucking thing in its entirety there's no, you know, desire to want to skip a track you know, there's no no filler, I mean, I hate to say it but I, you know, because that it's a Sum Forty One thing. All it's a killer. great Sum Forty One record. All killer, no filler.
0: I love the record. Yeah, but that's I made a yeah. I made a Sum Forty One <laughs> joke on my Instagram page yesterday.
2: So yeah, so. I, 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 you know, it's I guess you could say that's a guilty pleasure of mine as well. But, but I think that's true when it comes to this. This this album is all killer, no filler. There is, there's a purpose to everything on this,
0: and it all leads into one another. Though. Yeah,
2: it really does, and it god that's it's so lacking uh and a lot of music especially what's uh popular in the u.s that's why i think that's probably why i end up like in it going over to you know european metal for a lot of the stuff that i like and actually uh brazilian metal too they
0: brazil like what
2: uh they have a there's a ton of if you like power metal brazil is a is a good place to go to but that's that's just me Uh, Okay, but I I do like a little bit of power metal, but like I they're just American metal just doesn't
3: have it
2: right now for me. I guess that's just more. I think that's probably more a personal opinion thing than it is anything else. It doesn't mean that everything that comes out from America I I I dislike. It just means that uh, I I think we're we're struggling with uh, acceptance in metal in the U.S.
1: right now. As a collective whole, well, we're still pushing metalcore bands that haven't been relevant in five, ten years, right? And I think that's the issue is there hasn't been that push forward. I mean, we had deathcore, which kind of erupted out of metalcore, but the problem with something like deathcore is that it's so extreme that you're not going to have the same you're not going to have the same fan base. You're going to have the same built-in appreciation for it like people had for metalcore.
0: So, uh, I mean, kind of really piggybacking right off of that into speaking of power metal bands into the next leslie dying record powerless rise interestingly enough i feel like this record is way more extreme on the on the, the extreme ends of where shadows to security went with the you know death metal you know blast beats and so forth Oddly enough, you know, where An Ocean Between Us debuted at number eight, this debuted at number 10 on the billboard. So, like, it kind of speaks to the fact that, like, around that time, like, metal and just angry, pissed off music was, like, really, like, viable. And with it... What's weird in looking back at this record, like a, the Powers or Powerless Rise, was always like a record that I I always listened to and I, I really enjoyed in, in conjunction to everything that Esley Dying had put out. But it always seemed like where the the tail end of Shadows of Sec- or I'm sorry, Notion Between Us lyrically started kind of venturing into not Christian lyrics. Powerless Rise really is just like straight up like. The Christian faith is abandoned. Uh, this is where Tim's like all gloves are off. Like we're going just down like the path of a typical metal hardcore record, where it's like this is how I feel, and like it's it's not it's not co- <laughs> it's not cool, kosher, whatever. And uh, I, I kind of really love the fact that uh, this is just really pissed off and brutal and takes the sonic landscapes of an ocean between us cuz again they're back with uh, Adam Dean and Colin Richardson on production and engineering and just takes what they had done on that record and just takes it a step further as far as like the extreme level of that of, of the band I, I don't know if anyone else really picked up on that but
3: that's the next logical step for any band that bases their existence on a spiritual message Doesn't matter what that message is. I think eventually everybody runs out of things to say, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Not everybody can be Slayer and just be heavy all the time. Well, especially when (laughs) you had a, a scene band, whether they were the As I Lay Dying or the Under Oath style of scene, they were because that's what they were. I think most of them are just destined to run out of things to say. Because at their core, they don't just want to sit here until the end of time and tell you how much Jesus loves you. I think they want to say something that is relevant to them as people. And like Dan has mentioned before, when you started off saying something that you were told and not necessarily something that you had any real life experience with, eventually that seems fake to you internally. So you have to actually start talking about things that you're qualified to discuss, which for the majority of metal artists is real life and anger and frustration. I think this record was still Christian.
0: Really? Uh, can, I, can I speak on what
1: yes. you just said? Yes.
0: Previous to what Dan was just saying. So collectively, like... I know Tim has said on numerous occasions that basically this was the notion between us and The Powerless Arise were really the shift in his Christian beliefs and pushing the Christian word in his lyrical content. Now, beyond that, though, I mean, you just kind of were saying that like there gets to a point where the band kind of gets to where they're at as far as being a few years into their career and so forth and just kind of pushing an agenda. I, you know, I'm really interested, like, because I I know how I, I kind of spoke on how I felt about this record a little bit, but like, being fans of this band, where where was everyone at when they first heard this record? Because to me, like, I remember hearing this record and be like, "Oh shit!" Like, this band's pissed, and like, I don't feel like this is a band that's a Christian metalcore band anymore. This is really the be- this is really the first record from start to finish where I go yeah i think they're starting to feel kind of how i feel about christianity and a lot of the things that are going on in my life as a because these people are around my same age so like where was everyone else with this record and 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 the lyrical content and so forth
1: well there's a song on this record called upside down kingdom and the reason i say that this record still held some sort of christian belief is really based on one lyric (laughs) <laughs> and that, and but again, when Christian metal fans, they they, they stretch for that. It's always, mm-hmm. a, it's always a stretch, right?
0: There's <laughs> so. a couple of songs on here that I definitely think could could still lean toward that. I mean, I think Anodyne C leads towards still being a Christian based band, but I think if you really look at the lyrics and how what they mean per how Tim's putting it out. I think it really represents the thing of like looking at Christianity and how he believes in it from a perspective of like not believing anymore and trying to figure out what that means. That's me. That's me though. As, as never being a Christian person.
1: I think he was very much where I was at at the time. It's like I said, I'd kind of left Christian music and left that whole scene kind of behind at that time. But there was a lyric that stood out to me on that one on upside down kingdom, which was, He says, simplicity is not a curse where strength is humbled. And the powerless rise, this is a kingdom born upside down. This is a kingdom where the broken are crowned. Which really falls into that whole, like, the meek shall inherit the earth, you know, uh, aspect of Christianity. But I definitely get what you're saying as far as, like, this record was more transitional. I don't think it was necessarily a statement of unbelief. But I think it was it was more transitional in the fact that like this is what I grew up in, this is what I taught, was taught, this is what I believed, or still believe maybe to some extent, but there are definitely issues that, that I have with it, or at the very least have with the other people that are involved in it, where they're trying to either put words in my mouth, or they're trying to take something that's not about them and make it about them. Like we talked about earlier. So I definitely see the frustration, but like, after this record came out, there was definitely a shift in Tim's belief system, because he did a death metal band called like Yep. at the time, and I remember thinking the music was really cool, and he was also doing Austrian Death Machine at the same time, which was just like a funny thing, but like, it was funny because... With Pyrethian, I remember like actually reading some of Tim's blog posts that he had put up after this and talking about like his issues that he had with Christianity. He very, He very much had a very similar journey to what I had which was you know, these faith healings that people use as proof for Christianity. Like all of that has been proven to be false or proven to be some sort of deception in in some way and that you know Christian science is a dead end you know in that like they're just aping off of real science but then like also throwing in shit that's not necessarily true and a lot of that is, is what, what what caused me to leave the whole Christian music scene and, and to have anything to do with that because I didn't necessarily want to be associated with people that just make shit up in order to support this belief system that's supposed to be true you know and so that that was a big issue that I had. Now, I actually did come come away from it with like I still I am still all about like the God and Jesus part of it, but I'm not so much about like all the shit that comes with it. You know, like the whole you know, you're not supposed to approve of homosexuals, you're not supposed to, you know, approve of, you know, cursing or drinking or or, or whatever. Like I real like nowadays I live in a world that's much more complex than that. And it's not really like, you know, like the thing about Christianity that stood out to me was the whole idea of I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm somebody that, that, you know, probably doesn't fit the criteria for somebody that should get into heaven or, or whatever, if you believe in that sort of stuff, but like all the other shit that comes with it, like faith healing and, you know, not believing in dinosaurs and believing that like the devil planted dinosaur bones to confuse people and, like, it gets really metaphysical and it gets really weird. And it's something that I can't really, like, put my stamp of approval on as a person. Like, I love talking to people. I love meeting people. I love understanding what their journey is and, I, and all that. So, like, I still have that love and compassion for people that Jesus teaches that I don't feel like a lot of the followers of Jesus really embody. Like, it's one of those, like, you're really cool until we find out something about you that we don't like. And now all of a sudden you're ostracized from us, you know? So like, I, I, I have always had that personal belief that like you're doing more for people when you're doing things for people versus like, you're uh, definitely
2: people. hitting on my challenges that I have with people that are really entrenched in Christianity to the point that they don't understand what perspective is. I, I. Because they're they're so obsessed with pigeonholing and judging, and that's everything that I I thought the Christianity was not supposed to be. I will say this, though, about this album. I hardly listened to it back in the day. This is right uh, about a year before this is when I really went off the deep end. And you can ask, like, Dan and, and Joe. I love finding the weird, obscure shit that, like, has only gotten, like, 200 listens and they're from some weird ass small village in 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 switzerland i mean i i really started um trying to find the the most obscure stuff i could find and really listening to it i got really disillusioned with uh metalcore and the popularity of uh you know, I guess what, what was popular at the time, which is essentially was metalcore, and, and before that, new metal. I had no interest in anything that sounded like that. I tried to find the most bizarre, weird shit I could find. So that I'm kind of, I'm, I'm gonna be uh, upfront. I'll, I'll be uh, at a loss for most of the rest of this discussion because these last two albums just didn't do it for me at all.
0: So what's interesting about this time frame for me is. Growing up here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, a f- pretty close friend of mine, uh, Jason Wood, was in this band. The was in this band Camilla, who uh, the guitar player. I ended up uh, being roommates with, and he almost made it to be the final guitar player for Limp Bizkit when they were doing that "Searching for a Guitar Player" thing. So, and this is all really wrapped in the same time frame, so it's really fucking weird. So, my my eventual old roommate almost became the replacement for West Borland and Limp Biscuit. Uh, the first single from Limp Biscuit, uh, Eat You Alive, was actually a riff my friend wrote and has. Uh, on his old hard drives like literally the first incarnations of said song before he went and jammed it with Limp Bizkit because a part of that process was you had to write you had to bring your own shit to it uh, you couldn't just play covers you couldn't do whatever you had to bring your own stuff so they knew you could write your own stuff now the flip side of that is you had to sign away your writes to the songs that you had wrote written and uh so yeah eat you alive is basically one of my older roommates uh the the verse riff is basically the riff of uh, my old roommate wrote now around that same time the singer of that band that he first started uh went on to form a band called The Orphan, The Orphan, you know, was a metalcore band, very good, uh almost actually got signed to a major label, almost had Adam D produce their what would have been their that record that they would have done um Interestingly enough, though, the vocalist was Jason Wood, who went on to fill in for Still Remains, who was a local band from here in Grand Rapids, who was signed to Roadrunner, so on and so forth. Uh, Jason ended up becoming the vocalist for It Dies Today uh, on their last record that they put out. So all of that being said, the whole reason I bring that up is the fact that there's a lot of weird lineage to the christian hardcore scene between the Sir remains guys being obviously friends with haste today haste today Sir remains being friends with Asley dying the Asley, you know the kill switch shit there's there's it's very all incestuous as far as like how everything kind of came to become and so the reason i bring that up is uh, by the time the powerless rise ended up coming out that was really the last record I came. I was really big on because there's this weird shift in music scenes, and it almost was like what would sort of become what it is now, where you had bands like Skye's Airplanes. You know, I remember seeing Leslie Dying on Warp Tour at the very tail end of. Uh, an Notion Between Us like, cycle, Norma Jean on the Redeemer album, which I already said was probably the worst set of Warped Tour I saw. <laughs> uh, much to your chagrin, I'm sure, Dan. And uh, it's one of those things where being so heavily involved in that scene and seeing a lot of bands coming out, by the time... You know, there was the, the album Decaeus or Decas or uh, there's a few different ways I've heard people say it, and I, and I don't know how any of you say that record, but more or less it was a glorified cover record with like two new songs. Um, so I'm not really going to speak on that because I don't really feel like that was much of a record to speak on because of it being more of a covers record in a vehicle just to satiate fans between a powerless rise to what would become awakened but by the time awakened came out i feel like the metal scene metal metal core and everything about the scene as it was was just changing so heavily to where you were seeing more bands you were seeing this more like proggy tech scene of like animals animals as leaders uh you know between the various me were coming more to prep like more to prominence uh you were seeing you know protest the hero you were seeing a lot of these kind of bands coming to to more dominance in the metal scene And I feel like a band like Is Dying was just kind of going away and as much as this is not really probably a very favorable reason why I wasn't really into Awakened, between Decaeus or Dekas or whatever the fuck you want to call that record and Awakened, I feel like the visual of those records and especially the the Glorified Records album where they did that uh, video for, uh, how was that Judas Priest song they covered? Uh, Electric Electric Eye? Yeah, Electric Eye. It was so terrible that by the time Awakened came out, I was like, yeah, I think I'm over this band.
3: (laughs) Well, this is 2012. This is when Metalcore was kind of starting to take the final bow. And this is the innovator. So they're suffering from the thrash metal bands of the 80s, Metallica, Slayer, to Anthrax a lesser extent. was coming back
0: huge. Anthrax was coming
3: back huge, but you had those bands that kind of started something that in the mid nineties were fighting to stay relevant, or right. at least they thought they had to fight. When really all they had to do was just keep making music and touring. Yeah, this was just the band that got all the credit, continuing to do the same thing they'd always done. So in a very saturated market and it's 2012 we have the internet we have youtube we have access to all this extra stuff that we never had access to prior you you weren't just oversaturated you oversaturated yourself you're
2: nailing it joe absolutely nailing it i in my opinion that's exactly what happened is it was just more of the same when it came to them and like we you touched on earlier you know they're now in the world of the singles you're now in the world of Spotify and iTunes, you have this huge, you know, technological engine to discover new music. And, and you know, I fell into it. I I I ate it up. I went and I found the weirdest shit that I could find. I mean, it was great. I loved it because I, I was I still loved metal, but I was getting tired of the metal that I was listening to. I needed something else. I needed to discover I needed to find something new and you know they had found a formula that worked for them but it wasn't working for me anymore and I think there was a lot of people in metal that felt that way and that you also had the the issue with a lot of stations that were turning that off because they weren't getting the market shares that they needed uh, you know, unless you were in some of those strongholds that we were talking about before, you weren't able to get the stuff. So you went to the internet, and now you had this entire horizon opened up for you. You weren't stuck with just listening to metalcore or just new metal. You could listen to anything you want. You know, we were globally connected finally. And it it, it I think it was the death knell for... Uh, for this genre, as as it, as it was at that time, and I, it's the reason why I, even though I think it, uh, the the last album I think entered it at eleven on the charts, it doesn't it didn't count the same because there weren't as many albums that were sold, you know. It, Whenever uh, an Ocean Between us came in at 8, you know, they were selling probably, what, 10 times what they were at what came in at 11. And that's just because of uh, singles, internet, and everything that Joe touched on earlier. So I think Dan's falling asleep over here.
1: <laughs> I'm just waiting. I'm waiting just your turn waiting patiently. Turn. I think it's your turn, man. I'm trying not to be the asshole that I normally am. Oh, uh, Then it wouldn't be our podcast if you weren't. No, how many beers be. have you had? Not enough That's the problem Four You've been counting? <laughs> well, let's, hold yeah, on two we'll bottles and well. two, two cans two, one, two, three. 3 cans
0: Oh, okay I no, Some of those are my two. cans
1: Well, anyway So anyway. I feel like this is personal opinion Then you're wrong The correct opinion <laughs> So He emerges I don't feel like there are There is a lot of progression between An ocean between us All the way through Awakened it's because there isn't. They, they they kind of... They kind of were like, okay, we found the fucking sweet spot, and we're just going to hit it as many times as we can, you know, because at the end, we're going to profit. And they did profit, you know. I don't think that this record was a failure, but this was definitely, like, every... All the bullshit that I thought about the band back in the day, like oh they're going commercial they're going mainstream they're not you know hashtag not my easily dying you know like that sort of thing you know that was i mean and again this is the joke right me back then would beat the ass of me now like if i had heard if they had put out this record in 2005 absolutely dropped from the godlike status that they had embodied prior don't get me wrong if they'd released powerless rise right after shadows of security i'm sure it would have been fine but like awaken no fucking way especially with the lyrics the amount of melodic singing that was on the record the melody the catchiness the cur, the verse and the chorus. production oh my god it just wasn't there Like the band that existed prior does not exist now on this record. And that's true because now we're, they're rich guys, right? Living in California, maybe they're not rich, but you know, it's just, I think Tim was though, especially when we're going to get into the shit we're going to talk about in a minute is, you know, they, they were doing well. For themselves. I'm not going to say they were rich, but I'm going to say they were doing
3: well for themselves. Am I correct in remembering that the two big bands in 2012 that we were tired of hearing, that's how big they were, was As I Lay Dying and Killswitch Engage? Am I correct? Uh, See, I don't think Killswitch Engage fell off the boat like this.
0: No, I'm not saying they (laughs) fell off the boat. No, they did because they had... have you have you guys done? I don't think you've done Kill Switch Engage, have you? Not no, yet. we have not. It's okay, coming. So around so around this time in uh, incarnate not not uh What was the first Kill Switch Gage self
1: titled, wasn't it? No, no, no. He no, wasn't no, no, on no. self titled. That was still Howard
0: yeah that was still howard the um, second the record the first record was jesse which wasn't Discant, incarnate which was uh,
1: descent or something like that the disarmed descent yeah disarmed so disarmed descent, descent
0: was first so which would come out around the time of this record shortly thereafter so actually since we're talking about this that's something i want to talk about so I'm kind of thinking about the shift in heavy music at this point and what was becoming popular definitely i agree with everything everyone's saying the Powerless Rise is a great record. I think it's a great continuation of Where an Ocean Between Us Left Off. Awakened? Not so much. I've always felt like that's kind of a cut-rate record. It just sounds, production-wise, everything, is, it just sounds rehashed and just samey, for lack of a better word. Something that's interesting to me, though, is like this is where the beginning of, like, Bring to the Horizons, like, Eternal and Vassa Spirit, and, like, bands of that ilk, of, like, that overproduced, like... I hate to say like linkin park like around the time ty- like it's not meteora-esque but it's not quite where they were with like uh whatever the fucking record was shortly after there but basically like you know what i'm saying like that very radio heavy like Base 30 drop, seconds Death yeah, but not deathcore core like th- like third like on Sepaternal, and that's a spirit for Bring Me the rise. like they're very commercial records, but like they still hold on to some of the underground influences of of where Esley Dying's coming from. And I think like maybe like where we're where we were talking earlier about how Esley Dying was at the forefront of that new, sound that was like not new metal it wasn't hardcore per se but it was at the front of this new thing I feel like now we're saying that basically all these years later S.L.A. Dying's at the forefoot the tail end of the old sound and there's all this new shit coming in you know the Bring Me The Horizons the the Lincoln parts on the Minutes to Midnight and that that's the record I'm thinking of Minutes to Midnight and a, like a lot of this other stuff where it's like finding this weird hybrid no pun intended, hybrid of like alternative deathcore but like with really poppy production just this weird thing that shifted and like it, it it's like this weird in between of like your royal bloods your Russian circles your things like that where it's like we're proficient in our musicianship but we're poppy enough to like gain mainstream fans but this weird amalgamation of like all these different things and I feel like At this point, this is really where Esley Dying was just kind of resting on their laurels because maybe you know Tim was so, so focused on Austrian Death Mystery and the 3 and the the, all these other things that everyone in the band was ready to start doing something different and maybe Awakened was a, a byproduct of like. Yeah, we gotta put out another record We know what we're doing Let's just put this out It's work now, it's our job This is also 2012 where
3: even people that didn't have knowledge of music production Started to notice that all of the popular metal at this time was very sanitized Oh, for sure. Yeah. This is when it was blatantly obvious my mother noticed that the music sounded the same, no matter who it was.
1: Well yeah, like when we had Reed and Christian on from Totelisty, that's what that whole episode was about, was like where what Metalcore was versus what it had become later on, you know, when it became a kind of a dirty word. For underground metal fans you know because there was a time i mean and i guess i was the trendsetter back in like 2004 when i was like i'm not into <laughs> but no it was like i'm not into metalcore you know because that was whenever you had because to me back then it was like the worst thing in the world to have you know like this commercialized version of metalcore and then in like 20 fucking 12, it's still going on like holy shit like i i couldn't believe that it went on as long as it did and i think an album like awaken really kind of like proves that in that like eventually people are going to have enough and they're going no, to
3: move on totally jump
0: shark basically
3: yeah and i think metal fans even fans of this genre in 2012 we were all kind of moving on to the next thing which was your between the buried and me's and open to a lesser thing. extent yeah exactly yeah. I, yeah. I think
2: what we're what happened is the uh they got a night record producers.
0: Uh Hold on. Can I cut you off right there for just a second to kind of speak on that? Go for it. So, so up until An Ocean Between Us, it basically was uh, on Frill Words Collapse. It was Evan and, and Tim that produced Frill Words Collapse. By the time... Uh, and, uh Shadows of Security came out. It was Phil and Tim that produced that record, and they obviously have different people mixing and mastering those records. Uh Notion Between Us and Powerless Rise was Adam D with uh, Colin Richardson um mastering those records. So that like, you you went a step above and beyond everything that had happened, and it wasn't until you got back to Awakened where there was kind of a no-name producer back to doing what the band was as far as the sound and i almost wonder if it's like the band just going like oh we know what we do so like we're good with going with nobody or it's like the last two records or even three really if you want to go back to uh shadows of security where you're just like maybe it's a band who thought they knew exactly what they were and they have been 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 progressing every record and they thought they knew better than everybody else and it really is what shot them in the foot is by going like oh let's go with somebody else let's go with somebody else as opposed to going with what's tired and true and knowing what works and it actually worked to be a detrimental thing in their career um I'd, I think
2: their sound is nebulous enough over the last several records that I don't, I don't think it was a um a Dutchman, as far as it's not maybe the quality is different,
0: it just sounds uh, like cut rate as I lay dying to me, right? I,
2: I, and you're correct, but it still sounds like as I lay dying. What, what I was going to try to get at was the money men, the people who who cash in the make the big bucks,
0: which is Brian S- Slagle. Which I mean,
2: well, not hold on, not not Sorry. not on, not on not necessarily for as I lay dying. I'm talking about the guys that were looking at the big money for the. Sleeping with Sirens, Asking Alexandria's, that type of metal, you know, Black Veil Brides, got, bec- has become popular. And it's popular with the y- with the new generation, a young generation, and a lot of them are,
3: are young girls. You can say 13-year-old girls. Yeah,
0: I mean, that. that's... <laughs> can that's, you? Is
3: that a thing we're allowed to say anymore? Yes. It,
0: But that's pubescent. Yeah,
2: but that's very good. People realize, and this was another natural progression, uh, kind of like what I've talked about. Like we we started with, you know, hair metal to grunge to new metal to metalcore to now where we're at right now with what's popular with the you know what's considered edgier and what's still considered metal, and that's not our metal. I mean, it's kind of like whenever. we had John Drake on, and I'm a big Star Wars fan as well, and he does the Nerf Herder Council, and it, we've we've said things along the lines of not my Star Wars kind of thing, and that's kind of how I feel about a lot of this metal that's out right now. It's metal, but it's not our metal you know it's we're the old fogies now you know we're the ones that reminisce about well you, know, you are oh yeah i mean but we're all in our you know 30s i i still got a few more months and i'm not in my 30s anymore but i'm gonna damn well say it as long as i can but that's not who you know black Veil brides and you know that kind of stuff is 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 not for us and it's
0: um the, Hold on, is it though? Because like Black Phillip Rise started off with in the ashes of like what Motley Crue and like those eighties hair metal bands came from. So how and Avenged Sevenfold like with Waken of the Fall, Waken the Fallen. Like how is it not actually from the ashes of what we started? Well, yeah, it, it,
2: that's because Hollywood recycles everything. I mean, look at, I mean, I have a thirteen year old, so I look at the fashion that's in junior high and fashion. high school. It's the He's same fuck. Sh- it's the same shit that happened in the late 80s early 90s like that's a thing again like it's just regurgitating and that's the reason why I say it's not
0: for us it's for them 18 Visions, Fashion Core.
1: Oh, my God. But do you remember when 18 Visions was a new band?
0: Uh, yeah, oh, and I went and interviewed James out in L.A. when I went and saw him.
1: Oh, okay. And Davey
0: Havoc from AFI almost hit me in the face because he was hardcore dancing to Tower of Snakes.
1: Yeah, we get it. You're fucking badass. Anyway, no.
0: it's Yeah, uh, well, I was going to in the face by Davey Havoc. I don't know how badass that makes yeah, me. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that makes well, two of on... like a diaper.
2: Yeah, as I say, it depends on which... Afi was uh, depends. <laughs>
0: Afi now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> sorry, that's but that, the, you're actually sorry. bringing it up it. You no, know, you. It's a good thing that you brought Afi up, because, they did it, right for their pocketbook. They did the right thing.
0: Well, they're, they're, they're still they're, doing. They're, go ahead. Sorry.
2: They're at. They were at the. Uh, you know, our Afi. You know, is fucking. Badass, kicking the teeth kind of punk sound. You know the old. I love that shit. Their old AFI is so fucking awesome. The new AFI is. They they ushered in, uh, this pretty boy. Thirteen year old girls love you metal. Go Dan. <laughs> okay,
1: so I'm gonna. Push.
2: Girl gone grey. Yeah, I'm gonna, gonna push I'm away. Gonna go, from I'm that. gonna go
0: right after Dan.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna push away from that. I'm gonna change it. So, I don't think that Ashley Dying was necessarily on the downward spiral like we're acting like they were. I mean, maybe they were. Who knows what another record would have sounded like, honestly. Did
0: anyone. Did, okay, so hold on. Did anyone. Because I saw the band around this time frame. Did anyone go see the band live around this time frame? I did not. Any of you? No, no? I was kind of checked no? out at that point. Okay, that seems to be the common sentiment from Asley Dining fans, and it's definitely what I saw when I went and saw them. Because like I saw them with bands like Carnifex, On Earth, which I mean we already said like were this weird, almost on the cusp of being the biggest band, but they weren't, and they're a band's band, whatever. Like when I saw that tour, it did pretty good in like a mid sized venue of like a twenty-two hundred cap room, and it did pretty good. But the weird thing is, is by the time Asley Dying went on, everyone left. So, I mean, I think that kind of speaks volumes to the fact that it's like, it's not necessarily the fact that Asley Dying was a, a prevalent band. It was who they were bringing out. And Asley Dying was always good about bringing out good up and coming bands or bands that people wanted to see.
1: Right. No, I agree. Like, And I think that they, they definitely were kind of getting the old guys in the room treatment. But, you know, and we're going to talk about this. I think it's where we're going right now. And then yeah. we're going to be
0: done. By the time Awaken came out and Tim had the shit go down with him trying to put out a hit on his wife. The interesting thing as a result of that has been separating the individual from the entity that is the band and something that daniel daniel and i have been talking about leading up to this discussion for the last probably two weeks is so i made the comment earlier in this discussion and i made the comment to dan that i bought the reissues of frail words collapse and shadows shadows are security on vinyl and what's interesting to me has been the fact that so many audiophiles and, and music fans have been shitting on people for supporting the enti- the business of As a, As I Lay Dying, even though it's really just a subsidiary of Metal Blade Records, which owns all the all the music and so forth so really you're supporting a label not so much a band but everyone's been shitting on the fact that well if you buy these records you're supporting tim lambesis you're supporting a dude who tried to kill his wife and it's like never mind the fact that jordan mancino or mancino or however you pronounce his last name He's the other co-founder of the band. He owns half of Asley Dying as a name. That's basically what has stopped so far, per what I understand, Tim from going on and starting a new band. Or or Jordan continuing on with Azaleigh Dying once all this shit happened. So my thing has always been the separation of what Tim did versus the lineage of the band and that's where we're at now and so my thing has always been i can separate everything because good music is good music i mean if you want to believe everything that's been said about michael jackson that's been terrible cool if you believe it and you don't like michael jackson's music more power to you me there's 40 fucking years of great music from the jackson five from off the wall to dangerous to bad to all these records i can point to a lot of different musicians fucking ike and tina turner ike was a fucking (laughs) abuser of you know tina turner and did all this shit does that negate what he did as a musician and as a producer and so forth no And, like, I think I'm able – me as a person, I'm able to look past all that because it's more speaking to the person as an artist, not as the person making the art as a person. And I'm kind of interested to talk about this because I think it's something that we've become very relevant of in the last – Eight years or so in music culture between people like Chris Brown and Rihanna and a lot of this other stuff that's coming up in our pop culture. So, I mean, how do you guys feel about this as far as what Tim has done in his personal life and how it's affected As Lay Dying's musical career? So there's two different questions there. Okay, what are
3: they? Do you? The first one is As I Lay Dying, the entity okay. and the individual that is the lead singer. Okay. You're absolutely correct. The band... ...is separate from the individual. It stands on its own, and everything that happened prior to the incident is not necessarily tarnished by the incident.
0: Do you think it helps the fact that all the shit that happened with Tim happened after the fact of everything coming out? It does, but it only helps
3: it if the band either goes... For most people, I mean step back here. For most people, I would say that it only changes it if the band decides to continue on without Tim. Okay. Not where he decides he wants to kind of come back and keep doing it. I think that's where it becomes a problem for other people. I will say, though, the difference between that scenario and Michael Jackson specifically is would you feel that way about Michael Jackson going forward if he'd actually been convicted of any wrongdoing? Whereas, Tim most definitely was convicted of wrongdoing. <laughs> um, Michael Jackson had a lot of accusations, and yeah, he was a weird guy, but there is nothing that says, yes, he did these things that people say he did. And a little bit of discussion with people that were close to him at the time say that that's completely impossible. Logistically. Discussion, discussion
0: with who? With Tim or with Michael Jackson?
3: When that question came up, The answer that was given was, it's not possible. He was in a completely different hotel than everybody else. He had to be. He was Michael Jackson. So how could that have possibly happened?
1: Whereas with Tim, he spilt his shit to an undercover cop that recorded all of it.
0: You know, we are in a world now where we are in a 24-hour news cycle. We over-sensationalize things. Everything that is relevant now is not relevant the next day because the next news story is the, ne- the new thing. To me, in light of a lot of the music industry, like we already mentioned Michael Jackson, I think we can go through the course of the last 40 years of music industry as a whole and probably can point to so many different things between sh- murder so on and so forth and you know we get to metal and metal always gets this weird credit of being bad and evil and so on and so forth So how much of how how much we put on Tim Lane is because he's in a metal band versus how much he was a Christian and we want to build people up to rip them down to then maybe see them come back up versus just being generally like that's fucked up like you are trying to kill your wife like that's terrible. I think the general population would
3: say it's you're supposed to be this positive individual but at the end of the day you did try to kill your wife. And I think it doesn't matter who you are. If you're a public figure, the general populace would say, yeah, no, I'm done with you. Oh, it matters who you are.
2: Yeah, in my opinion, um, with with Tim, I don't care how much good he's done. It means dick. He's a fucker. I mean, that's, that's as simple as I can put it. I, I'm pretty passionate on this particular one. Okay. Uh, I um I hadn't listened to As I Lay Dying for a while because because of this because uh, absolutely really uh, oh yeah and no okay. no no question and uh, you can ask uh, to me I I feel the same way about Pantera because Phil is a piece of shit
0: so it's so okay so. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but it has nothing. To, so the fact that Pantera used the the Confederate flag, leading up to Dime's death, leading up to all this bullshit with Phil, that had that never swayed you into thinking anything else.
2: It's mainly because I was ignorant of it. Okay. I, I, if I would have known, yeah, I, I, it would have been a, that would have been a non-starter because I would. Although the other thing to keep in mind is I was young and impressionable too. Whenever Pantera was popular. Okay. In the 80s, 90s, I mean, I was a teenager, uh, right. and we also didn't have access to things that we do now that, that you talked about. You know, it's it's easier to discover uh, people's uh, faults and mistakes. The only thing it's it's different is I, I'm I'm pretty sensitive to uh, bullying, and I, I view Phil as a, a, as, as a bully. I, I don't put up with bullies. I fucking hate them. Uh, makes me want to fight him. <laughs> I'm not necessarily Phil himself. I'm just saying that I, I don't like bullies, and I stood up to bullies all the time as a kid because I don't appreciate uh, what they bring to the table. And whenever I view somebody as a bully, uh, I, I just I'm done with you. And I I view I view Tim as a bully because he I, for the you know in an, an obvious nature he's trying to kill his wife. I mean you. you that's that's pretty terrible you know and obviously i don't like the way that the phil goes about certain things because i i view him as as being a bully as well but that's just my personal opinion i i i don't want to support people's art who i don't like roman polanski so just but that's me other people can have different perspectives other people can look past it I just simply cannot whenever I find those things out about people yeah I just turn them off I had a I had a, a negative uh, a interaction with Anthony Anderson the, the comedian I don't watch anything that that guy's in outside of the original uh, the Michael Bay transformer I, I refuse to do anything watch anything that that guy's in that I just I just just turn the page that's the easiest way for me to put it and that's kind of how I feel although, I will admit, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to the S.L.A. Dying discography uh, leading up to this this episode. I I I really enjoyed being able to go back and listen to the music because I do love their music. I just don't like Tim the person, and that just makes it it's hard for me to separate the two. Like you can do, I I don't have that luxury. I I get too passionate about it, and it's hard for me to. Uh, separate them the, It blurs the lines And I, I just
0: can't Can't go forward Dan how How do you feel about it You know Growing up Very big in the Christian hardcore scene And obviously Having ties to a lot of bands That have been around For a long time And long standing And you know Like Zayo and so forth How did How did this impact you Like cause like I feel like you're one of the few people Out of the four of us All collectively That can speak to Maybe a betrayal, as far as the how Tim presented himself versus how he actually was.
1: Well, I think I'm going to make a speech, and I apologize. <laughs> so
0: now it's time for a speech. It's
1: time for a speech. Speech. You can turn this podcast off now if you want. Crack a beer. Crack a beer. That's what I would do. So, in Christian metal, Christian hardcore, whatever you want to call it. Jeff, can you grab me another beer? <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you.
0: Can you grab me a Christian beer from yeah, the Wells Christian, of the a Christian beer? Yeah. yeah,
3: make sure that's open before you start your rampage. It's actually before, um, you know,
1: it's not a rampage. It's really not. All you're, right. You're building it up. I haven't really, like, revealed how I feel about this really to anyone yet. In music in general, as music fans, we tend to find that person that we attach to that person that becomes our hero so to speak and like for me personally that's Dan Wyant from Zayo so I'm gonna always he's gonna always be my hero in the sense of what he has to say how he says it how he presents himself but I think for a lot of people especially in Christian music that person was Tim Lambesis Tim had a really good way of writing lyrics that were, were were relatable to everyone. Not just Christians, but everyone. And that's a talent that a lot of people don't have. Especially whenever you're starting off in that scene, that, that genre of Christian metal. Whether you want to call Azalee Dying a Christian metal band or not, that is, I mean, you can prove conclusively that that's what they were at least on the first 3 records. You know, you can you can find the references to God, you can find all that stuff. And I think that the, this feeling of hero worship was very prevalent with Hazley dying, which is kind of funny because if you're a Christian metal fan, you're not supposed to idolize human beings. You're supposed to only idolize God, right? So I think what happened was you had a band like this that every, that a lot of people idolized on a global scale. I think that's fair to say, global, okay? The problem with all of this is that you're, I, you know, I'm reading Tim's lyrics, I'm huge on lyrics. I remember my wife, when when her and I were still young and we were dating, uh, she, I remember her reading some of Azalea Dying's lyrics and saying that like this was like really good, really profound stuff that she could relate to. And she's not a metal fan, you know, but she 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 totally got into what Tim was saying, you know, lyrically. And I thought that was really cool. I think y- you take away the lyrics, you take away the music, you take all that away and you have an individual. And the reality is is that for anybody that doesn't know Tim Lambesis personally, you're still you're still stuck with a stranger somebody that you don't really know somebody that's not really um you can't predict what they're going to do from one day to another and i think with tim what it was is that he had success i think that his lyrics were sincere that's a big point of contention right now especially in like the christian world was tim sincere on those first three records I'm going to say he was. Because why would you pour all your time, effort, energy into something that wasn't sincere at that time? Especially if you're especially if you're talking about Christianity and religion and stuff like that, there's no benefit for you to stick to that ideology. You know, especially in heavy metal, like that's one of the hardest cells. You know, is like, "Hey, we're into Christianity." I mean, I know that's like what metal's supposed to be against or whatever, but that's what we're into, you know? And so I think a lot of Christians identified with that and they're like, we're going to be bold in the face of adversity. You know, we're going to be, we're going to be really bold. We're going to be in your face. And so I think that's where this Tim Lambesis worship came into play, where it was like, this guy is our torchbearer. He's the guy that, you know, we want to compare ourselves to. This is the guy that we want to be more like. The answer is you're supposed to be more like Jesus, but apparently you guys want to be more like Tim. So so that happened. So I think for me, I was pretty surprised when all of this came to light. I mean, I'm not stupid. You know, I read the lyrics to Awaken. I I read Tim's blog posts. I kind of had an idea of where he was at spiritually. But the thing for me was that I was kind of going through the same stuff. Like, dude, this faith healing stuff, all this proof that you guys have that it's all true is all bullshit. Like, none of it is really, like, concrete. And for me, I came to a different conclusion than what Tim came to in that I feel like Christianity and Jesus and God and the Bible and all that is all taken from a perspective of you either choose to believe or you choose not to believe. And there's no amount of proof. Jesus even says it that, you know, whenever he was first resurrected or, you know, there was a guy that says, well, I'm not going to believe that Jesus is alive until I see the nail holes in his hands and I see the nail holes in his feet. I have to see that to believe that he actually is the reason Jesus. And Jesus said to him, it's really cool that you believe now that you've seen, but it it is greater for those who have believed but not seen because they're taking it on faith alone so like that, that is more powerful to me than oh I have concrete proof that all of this stuff is true I have faith healings, I have Christian science I have all this stuff that if you really look at objectively is a lot of deception and is a lot of of falsifying of, of facts so where I'm going with all of this is that Tim was viewed unquestioningly based on his lyrics as this great person this upstanding individual however all of us from a very early age can be accused of committing crimes whether they, whether, whether they be on different scales you know what I mean nobody, nobody tells a little kid how to lie you know what I mean like I've got I've got a four year old at home and she'll take something from her sister and I'll and I'll see it and I'll say did you take that from your sister and she'll say no well nobody nobody taught her how to act that way I never told her hey in order to avoid getting in trouble you might not want to tell the truth <laughs> based on what you did <laughs> you know what I mean like we, we've never had that conversation but right. it is something that is innate in her that says okay well I don't want dad to get mad at me so I'm gonna say that I did this other thing that I didn't do to cover up for this thing that I did. And so with Tim Lambesis, it's one of those things where what he did can be definitely considered as heinous. This guy went to an individual, he said they said he you know he was talking about how his wife was causing him grief. He had started a relationship with another woman, he had actually told his wife at this point that he was no longer a christian he no longer believed that which again his reasons for arriving there i don't have any issue with i understand why tim lambesis felt that way at that time i totally get it however where him and i fall off theologically is when he decided that you know what my wife is trying to keep me from my children because she thinks she's neglectful and I can tell you as a dad I love my wife 100% however if I didn't and she told me that she was going to take my children away I would do everything in my power to prevent that from happening
0: so what's interesting to me, though, is about, you know, Tim, as far as everything that we have talked about, as far as, you know, him committing to have his wife murdered, the issues with his kids being a thing, potentially coming, becoming a single dad and so forth. You know, I'm not someone who i'm married but i don't have kids like some of you do so i can't speak to what it's like thinking about the fact of potentially losing my kids and i and as someone who doesn't really want kids i can't really speak to the fact of knowing what that's like so take what i'm about to say with a grain of salt but my thing has always been with with tim in regards to the esley dying thing It definitely seems like one of the few instances, not only in the metal and hardcore scene, but just in music as a whole, where people seemingly aren't able to separate the individual from... The crime that was committed. And interestingly enough, we already mentioned Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson shit was going on in the midst of, I would say, arguably in the the twilight of his career, but still kind of in the middle of his career from the first accusations and on to even... You look at people who have gone through some shit like Sonny Bono and Cher being abusive to Ike and Tina Turner to Chris Brown and Rihanna to, you know, there's there's just so many people in the music industry that have gone through a lot of different shit, whether it be drugs, spousal abuse, whatever. And what's interesting to me is that we seem to hold Tim Lambesis in such a, a completely different regard than anybody else in the music industry. Like Chris Brown, he. he quote-unquote was found guilty of beating Rihanna. However, I wonder, and maybe it's just bad timing of a single, but I mean, you have a song like S N M shortly after you accuse your boyfriend of beating you, and I'm like, okay, so maybe your safe word got this you know, misunderstood. Uh, so he be you and you have the wrong safe word. Uh, but regardless of all that, it's like Chris Brown has come back from all of that and seemingly for the better. Like he still has a big career. He's putting out top 10 singles, selling out, you know, decent sized arenas and so forth. Yet here we are talking about Tim Lambesis and he's out of jail and people there's I don't know if any of you have seen the Wikipedia page which has changed and said like Daniel Davidson formerly of uh, Underoath, and X Every Time I Die is now the new drummer and a few other people have now been announced as the new band. But to me it's like if honestly if if As Dying were to continue as Tim Lambesis and other people... Honestly, I'm probably going to go check it out because I love the back catalog and the discography because it happened after everything had been put out. And I don't know that I'm I don't know if I'm the minority on that or if I'm the majority of that thinking. But I'm interested in talking about that because I think that's such a bigger. Honestly, I think it's a bigger thing we're dealing with now in our our music between pop culture and so forth and I think Tim really was the beginning kind of of that
1: well let me get to where I was going as get far there. as far as not knowing someone <laughs> you know and like I said I think that a lot of the reasons why that Tim had for wanting to kill his wife are sadly relatable <laughs> in the sense that like I have a friend right now who's got full custody of her children That's Joe. when the father who is like one of my best friends of all time like no question she has accused him of something and now he has to bear the weight of that and there's nothing that he can feel other than rage other than being upset like this is, goes back to the whole children thing so like I think that Tim's reasoning for how he got there is relatable to a lot of men right now like i get where he's coming from as far as the rage comes from i get it i totally get it and know, it's weird is the situation that i'm talking about took place after tim so my my opinion on it has changed a bit from what it was prior Because it's one of those things where we live in a day and age, unfortunately, where you can be accused of something, and unfortunately, it's not like a due process type of thing. If you're accused of something, you're guilty. Unless you can be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're innocent, but like, how hard is it to prove that something didn't happen? You know? And so, like, that's what we're going into with this, is that she says... I'm taking your kids away. You are not a good influence. She she said that um, Tim's wife. I'm saying, uh, said that he was neglectful of the children. At one point, they were like swimming in a pool, and he was so tired that like he fell asleep while he was supervising his children in the pool, and that that put the children in danger and all that stuff. And so you know, whenever he sends an email, like he sent her. Saying I've moved on, I'm not a Christian anymore. I no longer believe in God, and I'm gonna start this relationship with this other woman. I can see kind of how the maternal instinct in his wife kicked in and said, "Well, I need to do what's best for me and my kids, and the best thing to do is to separate myself from Tim because now I can't predict him because he doesn't follow the same worldview that I've uh, that I follow." And so I understand Tim's frustration. I understand Megan's frustration. I understand it from both sides of the coin. But where it gets weird is whenever he's talking to his gym buddies and he's saying, my life would be much easier if Megan wasn't around anymore. And that, that's the part that I have trouble with because, I, again, I, I want to say that I'm giving this a fair shake. I'm saying I understand where Tim's coming from. I understand where Megan's coming from. But what I don't understand is how we get to murder. You know, and that's the part. That's what separates us from being animals. And I think, you know, again, Tim's on a lot of steroids. And they're going to cause him to believe something that may not necessarily be true. He might think that she is being unfair to him when maybe she's not. I don't know. I don't know the full extent of that situation because I don't know them personally. But I have seen situations in my own personal life that have been very similar to that. So again, whenever I say I understand where Tim's coming from, I totally do. But there's a flip side to that. Let's just say the guy that Tim contacted wasn't an undercover police officer. Let's say he did it. Let's say somebody went, they killed his wife, and he got away with it. Can you imagine, again, because at the time, Azalea Dying was still a band that was supported by the Christian community. Can you imagine if his wife had been tragically killed by somebody, you know, just a random act of violence, a home intruder? Can you imagine, like, because he had said that he wanted to set up an alibi for himself and that he would have the kids the night that that happened and he gave gate codes and he, you know, all that stuff. And again, this is very cold and calculating, not representative of a totally off track roid rage type of thing. When you have roid rage, you get pissed off and you beat your wife half to death. And then she puts a restraining order on you because you can't be trusted. This was calculated. This is something that he thought that he could actually get away with. And imagine if he had. Can you imagine the amount of support that would have been thrown Tim's way in the way of money, in the way of prayers, in the way of of support? Like all the Christians out there would have been like, oh my God, I can't believe you and your children are having to deal with this tragedy. Like, can you imagine like how disgusting that would be? That everybody is supporting Tim and they're being with Tim in his time of need. But like, he knows personally that it's all bullshit. Like, he knows that he had something to do with it. So it's one of those situations where it's like, How would he have reacted to that? Would he have accepted the thoughts, accepted the prayers? Oh my God, that's a fucking trope, right? But like, would he have, you know, gone along with it? Because as far as I know, that's the plan. The plan is she's going to die. People are going to pour out their undying support. And again, let's talk about the powerless rise. Do you think that, no shit, let's talk about Awakened. Okay, the can you imagine? Like, that record probably didn't do as well as their prior two or three releases. So, can you imagine what the album sale boom would have been after this tragedy happened? Can you imagine? So, like, Tim had nothing but profit to make from this situation. And this is coming from the place of somebody that knows and feels like it is kind of understandable how he arrived where he arrived. Mentally Like I get it from a purely philosophical Perspective But that was the plan He was going to get away with it He was going to get support Probably a boost in album sales He would have probably gotten Cash donations from people That just wanted to make sure he was doing okay That he was doing okay with his kids and everything And he would have gotten away with it scot-free But that's not what happened Is it? Um, do you want to interject, John? You you look like you're about to just die.
0: I just want to make sure no one else has anything to say on this. On this.
1: Okay. Well, I've trained these guys really well not to say anything when I'm
0: going off like this. But, uh, <laughs> well, that, that's why I raised my hand. Yeah, you yeah. Saw. I raised my hand. Yeah. So, so I was yeah. like, I have something to say. But if anyone else has anyone to say anything to say, go ahead and say it now. Go go.
1: Nope. Anyone? Go for it. You got no this. One? The floor is yours, John. Yep.
0: All right. So a few things wouldn't it actually be slightly more reprehensible for Tim and uh, collectively everybody to go on under the Christian banner knowing that they are no longer Christians that they don't adhere to anything that those people are saying doesn't it kind of fall under the same umbrella of like this shit of uh, what that kind of entails Even more to the fact, though, I mean, you talk about the thing that's always interesting to me is in in this thing because you know, as as we were talking leading up to this conversation, I'm of the mind I can separate the individual, the artist, from you know everything else, and I think we can go back through just time as a whole, and we can talk about artists of all kinds of different in different mediums magnitude so forth that are not good people who are morally reprehensible and so on and so forth but that we revere in pretty positive light yet seemingly over the last what are we 2018 so to the last six seven years when social media really has become what it's became I mean for all intents and purposes we kind of have forgiven OJ Simpson for what he did honestly uh there's murders of pop culture icons that we have forgotten about and don't care about Tupac Biggie being a big one like that's a now re a new thing sorry if that's funny to anybody but i mean we're like re looking at that now in pop culture like there's a USA network television show whatever about all that stuff that i mean you know there's all these people involved in these tragic situations and I mean, even if we go, I mean, and again, I'm gonna say this, and I'm not very well versed in in biblical anything. So I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong. But I think even the Bible has kind of shown that we are willing to forgive people for things that are not deemed constitutional for lack of a better word, as long as we can kind of justify it in the end, justify the means. And it's like, you know, you are very you're very aware to point out the fact that as a as a person with kids and so forth and who's married, that you understand why Tim would do these things as someone who stands to lose his wife, his kids, his you know, his his livelihood, his his family that I feel like there's a weird thing where it's like all of a sudden it's like, well, you're in a band and you're someone in the entertainment industry, so therefore we should put you to a higher standard than we are as ourselves. However, we also want to look at you as somebody who is someone that we aspire to be and someone that represents the common person being able to overcome the obstacles to become a a musician on a grander scale or whatever. And it's just weird that... You know, I, I never experienced this until the reissues of the vinyl came out. And granted, here's the thing. Metal Blade owns those final, the masters to those those records. So at the end of the day, when you see As dying, Fur Words Collapse on vinyl reissue, Shadows of Security reissue. Guess what? That's that's Metal Blade Records going like people want this. Like, fuck it. Let's put it out there and make some money because we own the catalog. That's not Tim Lambesis as the owner of the band name going like, fuck, I need money. Like, uh, how can I make money? Because I I have a lot of shit I need to pay for. And the the other part of that that I don't think people understand is, you know, when everyone's like, don't support Tim. Well, Tim's not the only one that owns that name. Jordan is the other person that owns 50-50 ownership of the Azalee dying name. So even if you don't want to support Tim, you're also fucking Jordan out of the money that he's rightfully he's rightfully owned owed as a result of owning that name. So I mean, it gets into this weird thing of like why do you care so much about what Tim did? And why can't you separate it when everyone seemingly and people in the same realm are able to separate? You know the Chris Browns of the world and the Ike Turners and the, this you know, and I'll even say like David Geffen, fucking Guns N' Roses, out of thirteen million dollars and just being like, fuck it, if you think you can get this money from us, take us to court. But you know what? You're probably only gonna get three million, which is what we're offering you. So. You can either take this $3 million and, and be cool with it, or you can like lose out on the 10000000 million-plus that we owe you and just whatever. I mean, we have – it has been proven over the last 30-something years that the music industry is shady as fuck, and I think collectively we can all agree with the people that we have talked to on our podcasts – And just knowing shit in general over the course of music history that, like, music in business doesn't give a fuck about anything. So the fact that so many people are so tied up on what Tim Lee is doing, when there's so many outside variables, like, well, there's Metal Blade Records, who owns all the things, so should they not make money off of the the investment they made? Should Jordan, who owns half of Azalea Dying's name, does he not deserve the money that he invested by putting in all the time and effort into Asley dying, yeah, some of it's going to go to Tim, but Fuck it. Have we all not made terrible decisions in our lives that maybe we have learned and grown from? Isn't that the Christian way that like you make an uh, you make a mistake and you get absolved from your mistakes because you learn that you made a mistake and it's not who that one mistake doesn't define you? I know murder is a big fucking thing in the Bible and so forth. It's one of the 10 commandments. But I mean, If Tim were to learn from his mistake, like you know what, I fucked up, and uh, man, I'm gonna atone for my for atone for this for the rest of my life. I'm gonna try to make my life better, and and all this thing. Who are we to say that he doesn't deserve that second chance?
3: Well, I don't think. Sorry, Dan. Go ahead, Joe. uh, This is all me now. I don't think forgiving somebody for their wrongdoing has anything to do with supporting their business ventures.
0: Even in light of the fact that it's not just solely them who owns the business venture? That's an unfortunate consequence to
3: the situation that an individual created. Uh, This podcast has three main hosts. It's me, Dan, and Jeff. If Jeff decides to go out and kill somebody tomorrow... I have to deal with the fact that there's a group of people that will not listen to this podcast
0: because his name is on our episodes. Do you and then as a result change the name of your podcast? Do you try to do basically what the members of Asley Dying did when they started Woven War and so forth? And do you, then as a result, do you feel like if the success the success or decline of the new business venture Does this live up to the expectations of the previous incarnation of the thing? Do you then go like, well, fuck, it was all because of this other person who screwed us?
3: No, because those are, again, two consequences of a situation created by an individual. The smart business decision is distance yourself from the tarnished business. (sighs) Distance is darkness. Unfortunately... The same people that will tell you that you should get yourself away from that tarnished name don't support the new venture as much as they say they do because people do not support individuals, typically. They support an entity, even when that entity is an individual. I know people that buy Panic! at the Disco records, even though it's just one guy. Now... If that one guy decides to completely fuck over everybody, which depending on who you ask is pretty much what happened, <laughs> a different group of people will say, well, I don't want to you know, listen to Panic at the Disco, but then he becomes a solo artist and now people are going to say, well, it's different because they look at things differently when it's a different face, when it's a different symbol, when it's a different name. And the answer to the Tim Lambesis as a lay dying question will always be for me. I don't know him personally, so I can't even comment on what he did from a personal standpoint. But knowing what he did, because he was found guilty in a court, I don't have any personal interest in supporting music that he creates today. That doesn't mean he doesn't deserve a second chance. It doesn't mean he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that I don't want to hear what you have to write about today.
0: Did you find it hard going back listening to the discography leading up to this? No. I mean, we kind of talked about that a little bit. Because for the same reason that you asked the original question,
3: this all came before that. So this is something separate. This is a band that existed... And then the lead singer did something really, really dumb. And I'm hesitant to bring the name up because it might get cut out depending on how I feel when I edit it. Uh, damn it. <laughs> Dan, I lost the name. Not Lost Prophets. Um, lost Profits. Oh, Ian Watkins. Yeah. yeah lost Profits is always the one that comes to mind because I've got that self-titled record and I could still listen to it, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, not interested, man.
0: I think <laughs> I think part of it no, is... Well, hold on, hold, can, I, can I cut you off just for a second, Dan, to ask this question to you? Did you listen to the record that they put out with Jeff from Thursday? Or is it still... That still bothers you because it is the entity other than Ian Watkins, but it's still Lost Profits and you can't differentiate them from Ian? That does feel different to me because Ian has nothing to do with it. Okay.
3: And I think so As I Lay Dying could do the same thing without Tim. Hey, I sent a demo. The same people (laughs) that we talked about earlier that distance themselves from the individual and support the entity, but then the entity does this and that. The same people will say it's not as good as it used to be. It's unfortunate that Tim did something horrible because now this band is not as good as they once were. There is no winning, Unfortunately.
0: So in in today something that I wanted to bring up too before all of this gets you know talked about just solely on Tim. So I mean like I just went and saw uh, Jack Russell's Great White, which basically was just him and a dude playing guitar. It was an acoustic duo basically. Uh, and then I went and saw the the headliner was Warren. Warren obviously doesn't have their original lead singer because he killed himself. Uh, so it is with somebody else but it's basically the original band with a new guy. So in this situation obviously the rest of the band that makes up Ashley Dying became Woven War. Now there is speculation that Tim will go on doing Ashley Dying at least in a live setting until a recorded you know thing comes out. Tim will potentially go on with Ashley Dying as a band that's full of different replacement players since the band recorded everything before Tim had all these issues. And if Tim were to go out with a new band playing old material, would you go see it or would you not support it? And then if that's the case and you wouldn't support that, have you gone and supported Woven War? Because that kind of basically echoes the other sentiment that if you don't support Tim, then you support the people because they weren't in the wrong. But if you obviously aren't supporting, supporting Woven War, because it's not what Azalea Dying was like myself, then that means that you're obviously not a fan of the other vid- individual members. And it's not about who is in the band and who did what. That's if that it. all makes sense. That's a lot of questions.
3: That was two. I think <laughs> answer is I've listened to Woven War.
0: And it is what it is. I think it falls short of what Esley Dying was. And to me, if Tim is going to continue on with Esley Dying for me, because that is the music that I want to hear, I'm probably going to go support that because that is what I want to hear. Would Everything be else your, be damned.: Would that be your final thought? <laughs> final thought. Yeah, that would be my final thought.: Dan, what about you? Let's let Jeff go first. Well, I,
2: I will say this, I, I will, um, never support anything that Tim does from here on forward. I'm, I'm not a Christian, so I don't have, I don't feel the need to, to have to forgive him. Uh, I think what he, he did is inexcusable. Thankfully, uh, he was not able to follow through with what he attempted to do. Uh, I, I am thankful for that, for, uh, his ex-wife and for, what is it? Three children, I think it is.
0: Three uh, adopted chickens, yes. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. So I, thankfully, you know, they still have a, they still have a mother. So that, that's, that's important to me. Uh, I, I, I have enjoyed all of the music that, uh, that I, especially up to, an Ocean Between Us, I mean, I love that album. I've listened to that. I can't tell you how many times. Uh, it's probably in the hundreds. Uh, I really do enjoy uh, their music, but I don't... It, it, I, I have a hard time supporting the individual, one of the individuals that is behind the music. Uh, it makes it where it. it I have a... Dif- it, it blurs the line, and I have a difficulty separating the two. They are... They're a great band. I think that they um, they they really helped uh, bring metalcore to the forefront. They made it popular. They were able to allow uh, other people who normally would not listen to metal be able to listen to music that that I love. Uh, but it, it, as a collective whole, at the end of the day, it, it is hard to support them because of the things that he did. Uh, and it and like Joe said, you know all the other individuals unfortunately are a victim of circumstance. It's not their fault, but they're kind of stuck in a shitty situation uh, because there's people like me that do enjoy the music that do feel sorry for those guys, but have no desire to support anything that Tim has done or what Tim will do.
0: The last, the last thing I'll ask, before everyone gets to say this though so let's say obviously tim comes back with Esley dying everything goes on as it is obviously woven war hasn't done what people probably thought it was going to so if the entity that was ezley dying that led up to the last incarnation of Esley dying were to come back with tim all is forgiven they go back and the entity that was as early dying as we knew it on the last record that we fell in love with from Shadows of Security on, if that was the band that were to come back with Tim and, and support what he, you know, hey, he's, he's rehabilitated, he's learned a lot, you know, we think he's whatever they may say he is, if that was the case in the full band that we all grow to love... Is what comes back out as Esley dying? Are you supporting that or because that was something I didn't ask?
2: Absolutely no? not. And they're it, you know if they have their ability to forgive him and they're able to get together for themselves, perfect. That's great for them. It doesn't affect me. Guy's still a dick to me, so that's just my personal
1: opinion. Interesting. Okay, so. He did a bad thing. I understand that. And if you want to put the Christianity perspective into it, forgiveness is a major aspect of Christianity. Major. However, let's, let's look at this in a different light for a second. <laughs> let's say that you have a family member that sexually molests you as a child. I'm not saying that's what Tim Limpies did. I'm not making that connection. But what I'm doing is providing an example there have been many cases where somebody maybe molests somebody as a child and that person becomes rehabilitated, okay, and they, they've admitted that they've done wrong, they've apologized to the individual, the family, they've done everything that they can do, okay? If you're a Christian, you you, you kind of, like, you have to forgive everybody, right? Like, that's a, that's a big thing. You have to forgive everybody, no matter how heinous or no matter how horrible it is. However, you also have to approach that person from here on out with an air of caution. Because you don't know how rehabilitated they are. You don't know if they're gonna hurt you again. You have what they say. And I don't know Tim Lambis personally. And even as far as the even as far as the trial and the murder of his wife and everything. I don't necessarily think that it's my place to forgive Tim for a situation that I had nothing to do with. Okay. It's not my place to forgive Tim because, oh, my God, he's a fucking rock star that I admired. You know, all that. It's not my place. But I guess, you know, like credit to what you're saying, this is all 100% subjective to who you are as a person. And I have to admit that ever since 2016, the world hasn't made sense to me like it did before. Because I would have assumed that everybody would have taken the same stance that Jeff took on Tim Lambises. However, we have individuals in power that have done heinous things, and there's a lot of people that are willing to, quote-unquote, forgive and sweep a lot of the shit under the rug. But it's stuff that, like, personally, I'm not okay with. So I think with Tim Lambesis it's the same thing. I, I don't think that I could stomach going and seeing As L.A. Dying with Tim Because they're because yes, maybe it's all forgiven, maybe it's all okay. As a question, as a testament to what you said about like what if they came back with the shadows lineup and it was with Tim and it was all good and they said he's rehabilitated. Yes, I have to forgive him for that, but it's not necessarily my mission to forget what happened. So, I think anything that happens with Tim Lambesis from here on out is um. Kind of needed to be needs to be taken with an air of caution, and I think it's also one of those things where if you read interviews with Tim Lambesis, I read everything from the from from when this when this issue broke all the way till now, all the way until his release from prison. I read his recent blog entry. I read all of it. Yet there still seems to be this tendency by Tim to take what happened and spin it in such a way that it's someone else's fault and that it's not Tim Lambeese's fault. We have not received that public apology. We haven't received that. I fucked up guys. He said, I'm really sorry for the people that I hurt. He said things like that, but like he hasn't necessarily taken responsibility for his actions. So at this particular time point in time, you know, in April of 2018, I'm going to say that I'm still on Jeff's side as far as not supporting Tim, you know, in any of his newer en- endeavors. The only time that I'm going to support Tim is going to be whenever we get that apology. We get that this was Wall 100% my fault. And I'm sorry that it happened. And I, I-, I want to own up to it. And I want to move forward. I think at that point I might be willing to support Tim. I think prior to that, though, I think it's, it's a really, it's a really hard decision to make. And I think that the majority of people are going to say that we don't support him until we get that type of public apology. We get some sort of acknowledgement that he realizes that he's wrong because let's tie this into the Christianity thing. One more time, the whole essence of being a Christian Is admitting that you are not perfect, that you cannot follow God's laws. You are incapable of doing so because it's so complex. It's so crazy that nobody could really, nobody could really live up to that standard. Okay. Like that's a, that's a fundamental. So to say that I, you know, to say that I'm perfect or that, you know, this thing that happened was someone else's fault was not my fault. Doesn't really ring true. Because I, as far as I know, the official record states that Tim returned to Christianity in prison, which is actually a pretty common thing. Um, he hasn't said that personally, but there's been reports or whatever. I don't know how accurate they are. But the thing is, is that like part of Christianity is admitting fault. Like that's That's literally your first step. And until Tim takes that first step, I don't necessarily buy anything that he says. So that that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I'm judging because that's what Christians do, right? And it's, uh, but it's also one of those things that I'm not like willing to judge anybody else as harshly. It's just that I see an individual that got caught, is upset that he got caught. It feels sorry for himself because he got caught. But I don't see somebody that's truly repentant. So until we see the truly repentant Tim, we don't have what we had before. And that, my friends, is my final thought.
3: I think As I Lay Dying was the standard bearer of metalcore in the early to mid-2000s. I think everything they did was imitated, ripped off, and duplicated song by song, riff by riff, by every every major metalcore band that came out and most of the non-major ones. So they're definitely worth listening to. And the band that they were has nothing to do with the individual... Actually, no, I'm done. That's it.
0: I was going to say, can I prose one last final thought in light of in light of Under Oath coming out with a new record this past week? God damn it, John. You have two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I'm going to finish this real fast. So Under Oath came out with the, the reunion tour. They did arguably two of their best records uh, with the reunion tour. People came out, sold out shows. I went and covered the show. I went and saw it. It was great. And they put out this new record that everyone seemingly thought they wanted. And the general consensus is it's not as good as the best Under Oath material from 10 years ago. Even with the fact that Spencer Chamberlain has lost his faith, that they're not a Christian band anymore, that he's free to use whatever terminology and word, verbiage he wants to use. it It's kind of made me relook at this Ezra Dying stuff in a completely different realm because... You know, we're all talking about the finality of of Tim's actions to the band, but I, I just really wonder if the band were to get together and everyone in the band were to be like, you know, what we we looked at, we've talked with Tim, we've you know realized he, his heart is pure. He's he's where he was when we first all joined the band. And if the band were to get together and write a new record, it's like, you know, for as much as we kind of slag on on uh, the last you know awakened record it makes me wonder if like the band were to go either in uh, the most heaviest direction with some of the stuff Tim has been going through, you know, with his religion and, and crisis of faith and so forth and just everything. If we would look back on it and be like, wow, this is a man, you know, fuck Tim for everything he did, but God damn, if he, Oh, you know, and the band didn't come out with just a fucking record that made us go like, you remember when shadows of security came out and how we felt about that band? Like, wow. Like if the band still the collective unit of the band in light of everything that they've gone through, couldn't put out a record that just redefines the genre and just re puts where it is. Whereas a, an Undergrowth came back and everyone wanted them to come back and didn't have any ill will toward them. And they put out a record. And everyone's like, Oh, I wish they would have stayed gone because this isn't very good and blah, blah, blah. So it just has me really wondering like what, what the state of the metal community would be. If as Lee dying were to come out that was involved on the last one, if it would be like the best fucking thing we've all heard where we, where we look back on it after talking about all this being like, yeah, Tim was a motherfucker, but holy shit, this record was so good. Oh my God. It's my album of the year. I might feel the, that way, but I won't tell anybody why <laughs> Like that's the fuck that, that's, that's what keeps tripping me up is it's like, why? Because we're hung up on the fact that, Someone has a shady ass past?
1: Well, first of all, you, you compared what Oath is doing to what the Tim Flambesis thing is. No,
0: I I not Timblin Beastis, what Asley dying has gone through. Okay. That's what I'm comparing okay. it to. The fact that like but, whenever when they left.
1: But okay, Spencer Chamberlain had a difference a difference in opinion about religion. Right? Like but like, is that the same thing as being unrepentant in the Potential murder of your spouse? Like, is I that mean, the same thing? Like, to, to, I, I like, can't say that the bands else. have gone through the same thing.
0: My thing is this: a fall from grace is a fall from grace, is it not?
1: Yeah, if you're a Christian, that's. But,
0: but I for, mean, the, that's rest the, but for the rest ang- of the, but, world, what- but for the rest of the world,
1: but for the rest of the world. I don't think that it's that way. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with what Under Earth is doing. I mean, no, don't get me I wrong. No, I totally agree. But Musically, there's some of- sins going on. But I think that, like, lyrically, like, I don't give a shit how Spencer Chamberlain writes lyrics. Like, I don't care about that. But A lot what, of people do, though. But what I do care about is if he tries to kill somebody. That's a, a lot of
0: people are getting hung up on the fact that Underoath is no longer a Christian band. Like I know Christians 100% are hung It up over is that. not one hundred percent. Is not the same thing, but it is the same in the fact that a lot of the Christian metal hardcore whatever scene feel betrayed by Spencer Lynn by using the word fuck and so forth and it's being ridiculous. honest with his religion it's and so forth. And I totally agree. But Norma it, Jean said that, fuck
1: on their newest record. Nobody gave a shit. Yeah.
0: Again, that kind of speaks more to my my thing is that it's like it's very weird how the Christian scene feels about supporting and not supporting and being up in arms about one thing over the other as a whole, I, I feel like the SLA dying thing it's it, it's a weird anomaly and I that was something I was really looking forward to talking about all of you with is because I definitely feel like I'm in the minority and I think that's as uh, best a place as we can leave this. As, well, yeah, I was going to say yeah. your,
1: your opinion is recorded And it will it will
0: air <laughs> Oh I'm going to get a ton of hate mail I'm sure
3: Oh yeah let's hope so That fine. means people listen to it well, I'm going to give everybody in this room a fucking round of applause Because this is a badass episode
0: Yay hey, I'm, I'm really sorry this took four hours to, to get to Four and a half It's okay
2: I've got a delete key Let's just spin <laughs> this real quick We need your
0: album of the week My album of the week? Yep Man, it is shit. I've been all over the place this week. Um. Oh, I mean, like I've been listening to a lot of "Easily dying <laughs> this week. That's fine. Um. Actually, you guys go first. Let me think about this for a second. All right. Since I
2: brought it up, I'll go first. Okay. I'm going Napalm Death, Apex Predator,
1: Easy Meat. I knew Dan would like that one. <laughs> Uh, mine has been uh, Human Comedy by Unteachers. Oh, very good.
0: What? Oh, What is that?
1: I'll, I'll send you a message later. Yeah, it's good okay. stuff. Like, not tonight, because okay.
3: it's really fucking late, but tomorrow.
0: <laughs> okay.
3: Well, John brought up cover records and how awesome they are, so Power Man 5000 copy clones and replicants.
0: Fuck, you guys are on to me already. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, we oh, don't yeah. waste any time. <laughs> Dude,
1: if it's an Ashley Dying record, it's fine.
0: No, it, it honestly isn't. I'm like torn between three records I've been listening to this week, which has been Chris Stapleton's Traveler. I've been listening back through This Is Hell's discography, but I would say the most recent one I've been listening to is, uh, actually not This Is Hell, but I uh, the new... Um, fuck, what do they call that? Light the Torch. The Light the Torch revival record. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, okay. Because I talked to Skuzz, uh, their new drummer, and... Uh, <sighs> I've been in a weird Deftones funk, so I've been listening to Diamond Eyes a ton lately. Nice. So those are my three. So any of those three you want to edit to be my only one I'm fine with.
3: (laughs) We'll take all three. That's fine. And on that note, this has been episode 62 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion, and please send questions and comments to DanAndJoeShow at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at patreon.com forward slash discuss metal. We have some sweet perks. One dollar will get you access to the Discography Discussion patrons feed. We've got album reviews and other special podcasts that come up there every week. John's Untitled Podcast can be found on Facebook and on Twitter and I believe SoundCloud. Is that correct?
0: Uh, Yeah, you can find me on Facebook instagram and youtube at Johnson title podcast uh you can find me on twitter at Johnson title pod and gmail at Johnson title pod at gmail.com so if you want to tell me that i was wrong with anything i said tonight about Isley really dying please do and i will tell you you're a fucking hypocrite oh good i'm on that <laughs> <laughs> and i'll send I you wanna, a 40 page bulletin Dan actually sent me a message saying that fuck this was long <laughs> <laughs> Yep.